Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Talking Comics Podcast. It is Wednesday. Somehow, it is June 1st. We are already halfway through this year. Oh, my God. Uh, 2022. You're listening to episode 549. I am your host, Steve Say. And joining me for this week's show are Mr. Bob Ryer. A very happy birthday to our dear friend, Melissa Megan. I was talking to her the other day. I might be joining her in the grand world of Oculus VR pretty soon. <gasps> Are you doing the yeah. mouth thing? I no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that hasn't happened oh, yet. Okay. That has that's not widely available oh, yet. But when it is, when it is, Spiders. I will be sure. When it is, you're putting it right in your mouth. Yeah, full report. <laughs> full report. They're going to be a bunch of add-ons for that. I'm sure. Oh, who's 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 that? Is that Aaron Amos? Well, look at here. Look at here. Yeah. Everyone stay seated. Hello. It's fine. Everyone stay calm. Stay seated. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's back, ladies and gentlemen. He is back. Also back for more for more abuse is Joey Bertino. Really? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Listen. Uh, well, there you go. Yep. Twitter thinks, so much energy going on. Twitter what? Thinks, Twitter thinks we have a feud. Really? No. Yes. One person on Twitter <laughs> thinks we have a feud. One is more than none. That's beautiful. <laughs> this is just the way that Joey and I get along with one another. Tag it's a tale. Tale as old as time, and. Uh, we care about each other. I well, I care about you. I don't know if you care about me, but I certainly care about you. <laughs> Whoa, man! People are saying, as they as they say on uh, the fake news. Yeah, people are saying. Wow. I thought everyone hated John. No, he's not here, is he? <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. It's his turn in the timeout chair. <laughs> Uh, John will be back next week. He's got uh, more important stuff to do, but I'm going to represent tonight for him because I read one of his recommendations. I dove into uh, Radiant Black. I'll talk about it later in the show. Uh, This episode, let me think. What do we got here? We have a couple of news things. Uh, One, I guess, very big piece of news. Uh, One very questionable trailer and something that we'll probably talk about for like, 20 seconds um beyond that we've got a couple a couple of new shows and movies and stuff came out uh this past week Uh, of course plenty of comics and we do have some listener questions Mm -hmm. um that we we tagged now last week we said 
that we were going to put out the call. We were going to ask questions. And I had every intention of doing that. (gasps) And I was going to fill our Twitter with, you know, just badger everybody into sending us stuff, emailing us stuff, however you choose to do it. Uh, And then, so very unfortunately, so grotesquely, we had a tragedy occur. Uh, And it did not seem like the time to be tweeting up a storm and asking things of people when everyone undoubtedly, I hope, was just positively drained from uh, the events of the shooting in Texas this past week. Um, So I'm actually going to hand the mic over to Joey, who is much more eloquent about these things than I am. Uh, sir, if you could please say a few words for the group. Yeah, man. Um, so like Steve said, uh, we were rocked last week by yet another mass shooting this time. Like so many other times, um, a young man took a military style assault rifle into a place we all take for granted as being safe. Uh, this was a school an elementary school at that in Uvalde, Texas. Um, words have been bandied about over the last few days that have lost meaning, monstrous, evil, thoughts, prayers, politics, etc. Um, but families are without children because of a gun. Um, over Memorial Day weekend, 17 more episodes of gun violence in which four more people were shot. Um, not necessarily the headline-grabbing tragedies, but just everyday, you know, run-of-the-mill shootings that happen in this country, graduation parties, festivals on the freeway. Um, it's easy to become desensitized to it. It's easy to give in to despair and rage. It's easy to become paralyzed by it. Uh, I remember... When I started teaching um, that first year, Sandy Hook, I remember my last year at uh, Mendham High School, 2018, that was Parkland. I remember graduating college, that was Aurora. I remember my last year of high school, that was Virginia Tech. I remember Columbine. I remember every single one. And I know that at least once a day as a teacher, I think about what I would do if a gunman walked into my building. Um, You could say that's the world we live in, but it very much does not have to be. Um, and of course our hearts go out to the families in Uvalde. Um, Absolutely. and our hope is that, you know, and we say this every time something like this happens, um, our hope is that, you know, for the next two hours or so, our podcast brings you a little bit of light, a little bit of joy in this otherwise chaotic time. Um, but you know, we also have to say that it's our responsibility to build a society that we want to live in. Uh, and that means talking openly about the damaging relationship this country has to guns. Uh, and the constant barrage of violence that we encounter every day and the breaks in our current systems of law and justice and public safety. Um, that means fixing it, right? Uh, and at Harvard's commencement, former poet laureate Tracy K. Smith told the graduates in the audience, young adults, yes, but if you look at it from another lens, kids in their own right in the future, um, she said, I want you to survive. I want you to be inviolable. I want the earth to be inviolable. It is a wish or a prayer. And I'll leave it there. Amen. There you have it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Uh, all right. So impossible pivot time. Cause there's uh simply no, no easy jumping off of that. Uh, I think we're just going to go right into comics. Just play the transition music. Okay. Burner, 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 burner. <laughs> I actually got um, a thing for Bronwyn. It is a, it's called an Orba. I'm taking it out. <laughs> it's, it makes music. It has um, different settings and stuff that you can uh, you can program in 
sounds and tones and stuff. And uh, I might sit down with it and uh, noodle around and maybe make us some transition music <laughs> in the future. Wait, you were also uh, talking about the Oculus before. Yeah. Last week, I played with the Oculus 2 or whatever for the first time in my whole life. Yeah, that's the one that she has. It is the craziest thing. Yes, that's the, the one world. I'm getting. I was making bacon and sandwiches in <laughs> a job simulator. And I was also, and then I was like boxing. I did, the, I played this like Creed game and I was boxing. And then I played this game. Um, I played uh, uh, um, Beat Saber. Yes, Beat Saber. It took me a while to get a hang of it. I didn't know how to use it. I kept losing. Um, but eventually I figured it out and it was the funnest thing I've ever, ever done. I, I almost threw up though. So oh, yeah. yeah, that stuff gets pretty real. And also my glasses don't fit into them. So that's kind of, that's kind of messed up. That is a bit of a bummer. I think the PlayStation VR was a little bit better for that stuff, but not by much. They don't really compensate for people that have glasses. Uh, if you want a I'm just trying to see VR. Man. No, I know, but like if you wanna if you want a VR hack for the movement thing, uh get yourself some gum. Chew some gum while you while you do VR, because it basically tricks your brain into thinking that you're you're constantly in motion and it'll 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 help you. I tried playing that Batman detective game for the VR, and it was the first VR game to really mess me up. I took that uh the helmet off and I was just like I nearly fell down. Yeah. Robin thought it was hilarious. I'm literally getting nauseous just hearing you guys talk about it. It's a lot. That's why I was. That's why I like the job simulator because all I had to do was flip make some sandwiches. bacon and make sandwiches. <laughs> did you send some faxes in the fax machine? I did not do that one. I did not do that oh, one. The stapler's fun. I I was like, I'm just gonna make one order, and then I made like ten orders. It's it's addictive. What if they have Robo Burger? Yep. <laughs> Robo Burger Simulator. Coming in 2023. All right. Uh, let's do a lightning round. Uh, Joey. Oh, shit. Okay. You got some You got some stuff on here. Yeah, let's do, do it. Are you, am I going to get lightning? What the hell? <laughs> I, we, did, we, did, we did your lightning a couple of seconds ago. What? Shazam. <laughs> Go. Right, thank you. Uh, First thing I'm going to talk about is a graphic novel called Paris. This was by Andy Watson and Simon Gain. This was originally published as a four-issue miniseries in 2005, collected first in 2007, and now again in 2022 in a special edition. Um, For those that have seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, it's super spicy, super gay, and super beautiful to look at. Um, oh, is that the one with the two women on the beach? No, uh, Portrait of Lady of Fire is not about two women on the beach. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. So Paris is basically Portrait of a Lady on Fire, but like in modern times and also French because it takes place in Paris. Um, but obviously it predates the film. But anyway, this is about Juliet. She's a penniless American art student. She travels to Paris to study painting. To pay her way, she paints portraits of wealthy debutantes. One of her subjects is Deborah, a young English woman suffocated by the narrow expectations of her aristocratic family. Um, Juliet is equally confined by the rigid academic st- 
structure of her art education and finds an unlikely kindred spirit in Deborah. Uh, Juliet and Deborah's love for art brings them together, even as their friends and family try to drive them apart. And that love obviously has other dimensions to it. Um, It's so spicy. I love, 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 loved it. Uh, the story is really wonderful. The writing is great, but Simon Gaines' artwork, Simon Gaines, he, he's done some work recent years, Ghost Tree, They're Not Like Us. Um, because this came out in the mid-2000s, it looks a lot like those mid-2000s books. Very kind of angular, expressive, detail, very Fabio Moon, Gabriel Ba kind of style, which is like my mwah, bread and butter, butter. So like I'm there for it. Um, it was very cool to read this. I had not read it, obviously, when it first came out. So uh, the new collection from Image is, is definitely worth checking out. I also read the first issue of the new arc of Department of Truth. This was number 18. James Tynan the fourth. Martin Simmons is back as well. Um, new story arc introduced us to the Soviet Ministry of Lies, which is the parallel to the Department of Truth. Um, and things are just continuously escalating, escalating, escalating. Um, having Simmons back on art is fantastic. The layouts here in particular are stunning. Um, back to form here. The narrative continues. Uh, some of the stuff I was just talking about at the top of the show with all that in the back of my head as I was reading Department of Truth. I'm like, wow, this book is really depressing when you think about it. So that's tough. <laughs> trying, to, trying to navigate that as I'm reading this book is is tough, um, but it is a really just it's a stunning, stunning series. And, and the new arc, I'm sure, will continue that. Um, I also read Legion of X number one. This is Cy Spurrier, uh, his follow up to Way of X and Onslaught Revelation. Uh, which were awesome X-Men books last year. Uh, Jan Balzadoa um, joins him on artwork here. So this is like Nightcrawler putting together a squad of legionnaires to like police Krakoa. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, the quiet council is doing the political stuff. And, you know, the X-Men are abroad fighting the big X-Men fights, but the Legion is here on Krakoa, making sure everyone's following the laws, make sure everyone's living their best lives, making sure everyone's believing in what Nightcrawler calls the spark, which is like finding joy and like trying new things. Um, the team is weird. It Pixies on it, Juggernauts on it, um, Fabi, uh, uh, Fabian Cortez is on it. Um, and also this new character who's like, his name is like, forget me not or something like that. Yeah. And his mutant power is that everyone forgets him all the time, which is <laughs> hilarious. I think it does get a little old, this issue, <laughs> like in yeah. the first issue, I'm already kind of over it. Um, but I really enjoy the artwork. I think the series is cool. Um, I'll see if I stick with it as I've been talking about in recent weeks, my X fatigue is starting to show, so we'll see, but it's a promising first issue. Um, some really great stuff from storm as well. And, uh, blindfold is back. I don't know how that was allowed, but I guess if you, if you resurrect one precog, you could resurrect them all. Um, and blindfold and, uh, uh, Legion obviously have a great relationship there. Um, two quick hits here. Steve talked about Batman Unburied, the podcast. I listened to about five episodes. I think they're up to episode Ooh. seven or eight now. It's yeah. awesome. It is so, yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so good. Um, you've, you listen to the first few issues, uh, episodes, and you're like, what the hell is happening? And I'm like, it's got to be the Riddler. And then, as Steve said when he was talking about it, episode four or whatever, you cut to to Barbara uh, as, a, as a detective. And, like, 
she gets the Riddler to help her like solve this case. I'm like, damn, it's not the Riddler. So I don't know who it is. How and I'm excited. How amazing is Barbara in this? Oh, it's great. The voice acting is great. The characters are great. The editing is great. Um, if I had more time in my life, I would have caught up with all eight episodes, but I just did not have enough time this weekend. So Yo, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the rest. Episode six is probably the best one yet. I'm excited. It is such an incredible story involving the character that they introduced. You know, I won't say who it is. They name but. dropped they name dropped Hugo Strange in like episode four or five. So I'm like, maybe that's the big bad. I don't know, man. Anything could happen. I'm excited. I got three I'm I'm like three episodes behind, so we'll check that Wait, out. Wait, where are you? You can't yeah, no, you can't be almost caught up. No, I'm on episode five. Mm. I'm on the episode where I'm on the episode where um they, so so they just so the cops just beat up Riddler in the like they like Barbara and Riddler were like trying to solve the case yeah. and they're going to some mine or whatever upstate and the cops pull them over and beat up Riddler and they and they're like they're like stay out of it uh, and then I just started the following episode. So I think, I think I just started episode five. Okay. I'm mm, you're, you're in for it now. Yes, like, no, this no, is, I can tell. I could tell. Yeah, this is, it's, it's wild to me how, like I called something in episode one. I was talking to Bronwyn about it. Cause she's the one who actually introduced me to this. Yeah. I'm, halfway, said, I'm you know, halfway through episode five. I just checked my Spotify. Okay, I, I, I said to her, I said, blah, 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 this person is going to be involved and this is how they're going to do it. And I turned out to be right, which was amazing. But then the show, it was like an onion. It just kept peeling back layers of the thing that I had predicted. And then all of a sudden, it was so much more than that. Episode six is just Oh, it's amazing. It's so good. I can't wait for you to get there. Yeah, I'm excited. I love that series so much. I'll be caught up by next time for sure. Um, it's great. The voice acting is great. Winston Duke is fantastic. The cast is great. There's the 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 people they have doing the the voices are fantastic. Hassan um, Minaj is so good. Ooh. Oh, sorry. Oh my. Picking that's that okay. That, that that's like a sound effect from the podcast. So I was like, "Woo, is it playing?" Um, all right. Anyway, then then the, another quick hit here uh, because I have a need, a need for speed. Top Gun Maverick, motherfuckers, danger zone. <laughs> to the danger zone. Um, directed by Joseph Kaczynski with the script by committee, obviously. But uh, no, just kidding. Uh, Chris McQuarrie of the Mission Impossible flicks, I think, wrote uh, the the draft that's used. Um, oh. It's literally 36 years later, which is also the record for the longest time between official sequels. Um, Pete Maverick Mitchell is still a Navy pilot and a captain. He's refusing to get promotion so that he can still fly, man. Uh, he's doing his best to keep flying planes, even as drones become a thing. But it's the pilot in the box, man. That's what matters. Maverick gets called back to Top Gun to train a group of elite young pilots for a super dangerous mission in some unnamed country uh one of those pilots it's goose's son get ready oh my god the drama was real this movie ruled okay like it is so (laughs) it is so the dude next to me was like crying the whole time people were laughing (laughs) it was it was so good it was so 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 good um 
it just and and it was funny because like I saw I saw it Monday. And when I got done with the movie, I texted my family and I was like, hey, Top Gun was really good. Y'all should see it. And my mom was like, yeah, we just got back from it. And my brother was like, yeah, I just finished watching it too. So like we all watched Top Gun at the same time apart. And then we all just like really loved it. Uh, it's cool. It's just a cool people flying planes, man. And like breaking orders, but like saving the day, you know, like it's just like it's just like heroes. Like America. You know, like it's like it's 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 um it's I saw a great take. I think it was in the Times that was like the myth of Top Gun is that like America can still be heroic and and do good things. And that that myth has has is not true in real life, but in the world of Top Gun, it is. And and Top Gun Maverick, I think, um, is a first and foremost, very entertaining, very tight film. Um, the flight scenes are incredible. Um, they, the, the top Tom Cruise, obviously, um, like agreed to do this film as long as like everyone actually flew F 18 jet planes. Uh, and they did, they put cameras in the cockpits and they, all the actors like had to learn how to fly F 18 jet planes. So they shot footage of them in their cockpits, like flying these planes at like insane speeds and banking and all that stuff. Obviously not doing the dog fighting. I think probably blue screened a lot of their like overhead stuff, but it's them in the planes actually flying. And you see it like in their eyes, like the panic of, <laughs> of, the, of the G's that they are, 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 are taking. Um, it's incredible. It's just a ton of fun. And, and like I texted a friend of mine that was like, Oh, dude, you have to go see Top Gun. And he's like, everyone is telling me it's really good. I'm suspicious. And I'm like, I get that, but it is. Like, it's just a good time. It's kind of like what I was saying last week about the Jurassic Park movies. Like, the first Jurassic Park movie is a masterpiece for sure. And I know, and I will readily admit that the following Jurassic Park movies are nowhere near that caliber of filmmaking. But, but dinosaurs. I, but exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. I still. Loved them. And I watched all of them again. I, I watched them um, all the way up to Fallen Kingdom. I watched Fallen Kingdom a couple days ago. And yeah, I get it. Like they are not the best movies, but I love them. Like they are just entertaining, thrilling popcorn movies. And Top Gun Maverick is one of those blockbuster top uh, uh, blockbuster popcorn movies. And free of all of the, you know, continuity baggage of like the mcu and all of that stuff and free of all of the editorial nonsense that like the sony movies have like this just felt like tom cruise was like let's get in a freaking f-18 and fly around and that's what this movie is and the audience was there for it the dude was bawling the dude was crying when val kilmer shows up you know which is just like emotional for so many reasons um but like the and like there's a lot of like you know like parent parent child relationships in this movie so like it, it was great top gun maverick have a go see it it's a you have a great time that's all i have to say about that that's my extended lightning round get what you deserve <laughs> a couple of quick things i've never even seen the first one the first one is also great <laughs> okay 
my mom texted me and was like, Top Gun, the first, because she watched this on Netflix. She was like, I watched the first Top Gun. Very simple movie. Very entertaining. <laughs> it's like, it's like, yeah, two dudes show up. They want to be the best fighter pilots. So they fly really hard. And then they get in a situation at the end that they have to fly really hard at. And that's what it is. Like, that, that's the movie. Oh, uh, I honestly don't remember it. Neither do I. Feel I. Like You've lost that love and feeling at the bar. That I know. I know that part. I mean, I, was, I, your I, mouth is writing checks, your skills, character, whatever. Yeah, something like yeah. that. How do you have to see the first one? Oh, hell yeah. To Go okay. watch it. It takes two hours. You'll enjoy it. Hmm. I, I have two <laughs> other comments. One's, one's, one's a little uh, stupid, but I'm going to go for it because my mom's always said there was no such thing as a stupid question. I have read the ending. Their end mission is rather like the first Star Wars movie. Yes. Okay. It actually is the first Star Wars movie. <laughs> it is. Okay. They, have to, they, they spend the whole movie training to fly this impossible mission. And the impossible mission is fly through a trench and shoot mm-hmm. a missile into <laughs> a uh, ventilation shaft. Wow. Wow. And then bail so out. Nice. Yeah, okay. that's, that's, that's the impossible mission. Okay, it's an homage. It's yeah, an homage. yeah, it's an homage for sure. But it's it's um, it's great. It's so good. <laughs> and this, the second is this, and this is the stupid one. Um, you mentioned there was a guy next to you bowling. I work with a with a fellow who's trained to be a pilot, and he is all about Top Gun in this movie, and he's all over himself about this thing. And that's all great. And about the same thing you mentioned about them going up in these planes. I remember a few years back when they were making Captain Marvel and Brie Larson did one of the same thing, go up flying in a plane. She caught a lot of crap from these same people who were bowling over Top Gun. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah, there, there's a great there's um, if you go, if like if you like Google the news about Top Gun Maverick right now, mm-hmm. um, the, like the, the, the right wing media sphere is like enamored with this movie. But like their takes on it is like Top Gun anti-wokeness movie you know like oh, really and it's okay. like and it's like bro what like zero percent of that is true in regards yeah. to this movie like the like all of the pilots except for like tom cruise obviously like are like people of color or women oh, good. That's, great. No, that's awesome you know it like and and the movie i think the movie I think what they're latching on to is like that notion that I talked about, which is, yeah, I think, like, I, I can't, I, yeah. yeah, it's like, the, it's yeah. like this American myth of like, of like, you know, the, the militainment thing, like we can do it. We are capable of great things when we're in a fighter plane, you know? And, um, that, that myth, as I said, and this was the take that I really liked, the reason why the movie is resonating with everyone is because we want to believe it's true. Like we want to believe that good wins. We want to believe that, you know, if you work really hard, you will become the best of the best. Like we want to believe that. Um, And Top Gun, I think captures that spirit in the same way that like, you know, the Captain America movies or the Captain Marvel movies, right? Mm -hmm. Like you try really hard at something, you become the best and you get to be a good guy, you know, like that's, that's, clear um not a not a not a bad mission statement yeah but the takes like the 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 like the uh, the info wars take obviously is is yes (laughs) i i I know what it is and uh, i'm just gonna choose to ignore that 
As, as you can. You can enjoy the movie for what it is without the baggage that other people lay onto it. Yeah. I will say that Tom Cruise rides his motorcycle without a helmet, and I was like, bro, you should be wearing a helmet. <laughs> I think I think he's pretty much made it obvious that, and I'm not wishing it upon anyone. I'm not speaking it into the universe. I feel like he's going to die on set. I, I really do. I, I, I have had the same thought. I, I think he's almost done. He, really? I think yeah. he made this movie and at the beginning he did, he did, he did like one of those like movie theater introductions, you know? And he was like, we've been working on this movie for a long time. And a lot of like, it took a lot of people to make this movie happen. And we really want you to enjoy it in the theater. So like, welcome. And it was really sincere. And I was like, Tom, you know, like you're a crazy person for sure. But but like I'm here to watch you as Tom Cobb Maverick. He's also wrapping up the Mission Impossible movie. He's got two more of those. Like, what else is he doing, man? Like, I think he's like, dude, I'm over sixty soon. Like, don't say things sit- like that. That's amazing, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's like fifty. I think he's fifty nine. He's up. Yeah, there. Well, whiskey business is what 80, 82, 81? I mean, yeah. we're way back. Sure, he doesn't need the money. I, I, I he, he's probably going to be like Tony Hawk is. Like, if you watch the Tony Hawk <laughs> documentary, which is yeah, awesome, yeah, by yeah. the way, where like he technically retired like fifteen years ago. Like he, he doesn't compete anymore, but like he still skates every day. So like I could see Tom Cruise being like, I'm not going to be making movies anymore. But you'll see me skydiving like tomorrow. Like I'll fly my jet plane. He's like a licensed like pilot. Like he like he'll still do all of these death defying things every day because I think he's just adrenaline junkie. Yeah. But I yeah. think I think his movie career is 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 winding down. Well, I mean, he it's will not be unusual sixty now, years old. What's that, Aaron? I was gonna say it's not unusual now. I mean, George Clooney did the same. George Clooney retired yep. from making Went movies. to direct him. Yeah. Um, and so did Cameron Diaz. Yeah. Point blank said, I'm done. So, yeah. which is rare. It's, it's, it's one thing to be able to pick your time and say, I'm, I'm walking away versus, you know, the audience saying, yeah, we're kind of done with you now. Not everyone could be <laughs> Jim Brown, the football so. player, right? Who just walks away and says, you know yeah. what? I've done everything I need to do here. I'll go do something else. It, you know, if they were still, yeah. if he was like, yeah, I'm going to be doing Mission Impossible movies until I'm like, you know, crippled, decrepit, you know, like mm-hmm. I, I could see that. But the fact that he's like, we got two more and we're done. That to me is a sign. Like he's like, I'm on my way. Yeah. You don't think that he's going to go the way of Liam Neeson? Taken 14. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah, sure. How old do you think Liam Neeson is? Older than Tom Cruise. He's older than me. I, I can tell you. Liam Tom Neeson, Cruise will be 60 years old in July. Liam Neeson, July 30. Liam Neeson is 69. Okay. But those Taken movies, oh, I, never mind. He did one last year of like Trucker Man or something mm-hmm. like that. <laughs> uh, ice ro- I, the Ice Road. That's yeah, the yeah, one. Yeah. 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 Trucker Man. <laughs> He's Dark yeah, Man see, to me. And we'll I want to see forever. that movie. <laughs> Trucker Man. Oh, anyway. Oh, my that God. Movie. Maybe Tom Cruise will do Vanilla Sky 2. Oh, man. <laughs> I haven't seen that in a dog's oh, age. But think about it. Like, what else ha- is he doing besides Top Gun Maverick and Mi- Mission Impossible? What's his – I mean, I don't know that we want to get into it here, but, like, I haven't heard the word Scientology in the news in forever. Yeah, is, no. Does that still exist? Oh, I mean, yeah. like, I think I think it's underground now, bro. After, after Leo Lemony's documentary yeah. series, yeah, that's kind of – they pulled back some. 
You know who's a Scientologist? I found out and it blew my mind. Beck, the the yeah. musical artist. Yeah, I'm not Beck. surprised by that. Yeah. It's like big, it's oh. big Hollywood thing, bro. Oh my god, yeah, I'm Beck. Like, oh my god, the loser. What the? Oh. <laughs> Uh, Scientology is bad for your health, people. But if everyone does what they want, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go, Joe. Aaron, did you read Legion of X? I Mm -hmm. did. Uh, Actually, I was just going to try to cut in there. I I did read it, and I don't know if maybe I was just fatigued or (gasps) I don't know. But I couldn't find – I agree with all the things that you said, Joey. But I couldn't find my footing – while reading it to figure out exactly what the foundation of this book is going to be. I understand Kurt is supposed to be the foundation, but Kurt has some very odd things to say about religion, which I was like, Ooh, that's going to upset some people, but whatevs. Um, But I I was sort of like, I I can't, I can't get my footing between forget me not. uh, And then what's going on with um, what's the guy with the thorns, Uh, that guy. Uh, and and all the other, just so many different, and then Kurt, and then Legion, and then Blindfold. I was sort of like, there's a yeah. lot. And then Storm. I, I was sort of just a lot happening, and is it, and I get the impression, whenever that happens, whenever there are so many, you know, desperate storylines, you know, introduced in the first, it, it makes me believe that okay, this is going to be one of those things where all of it's going to sort of come together, four or five issues down the line. Uh, and begin to make sense. I didn't make sense of it now. Um, I like the uh, individual part. I didn't so much love the forget me not piece. I was sort of like, all right, that's I don't know what no, that's yeah, for. Yeah, I was tired I was, of it was, immediately. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. I didn't love it, and I was kind of like, I still don't understand why Juggernaut is there because he even admits he's not a true mutant. But Charles Xavier, uh, whatever. I don't know. But the other parts, I understand what what Kurt is doing. I I, I kind of wanted to have two focus. Kurt and and David, that's kind of where I, yeah. I, I want to see this because I I like the reason why I picked this up is because I liked that relationship that was building between them. Um, yes, you know, in the way of X, I thought that was a strong relationship, an unexpected and strong sort of partnership that you know I would never have put together, but you know was making more sense. But that there was. They actually didn't have any. I don't know if they even had scenes together. They had one in this in this book. Uh, um, yeah, I think they had uh, one. Yeah, yeah, they had the one. Um, so we'll I don't see. know. I'm going to keep reading it. I'm going to keep reading it. I, I still, you know, I'm going to give it a shot and see what goes on from there. That's it. All right, that's my thoughts. I also want to hear more that's about Paris. It was great. It really was. It's not new, obviously. It's it's from two thousand and five, um, and and the book looks like it to a degree, but the artwork is so wonderful. It's a it's probably about a hundred pages. It's not that okay. long, um, but it's a really great story. Um, I got lots of Portrait of Lady on Fire vibes, which I also loved that movie. A lot of like lingering looks between these two women and things like that. Um, <laughs> naked portraits and things, you know. Um, it's very saucy, um, but it was it was just it was beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful little story. Cool being sweet. I really like the artwork. I was uh, looking it up while you were talking about it. Yeah, it is quite a looker. I might have to pick this up. 
Uh, what year did it come out? 2005 it was a four issue series, and then they collected it probably in 2007, and they're re printing it now with like some bonus stuff in the back kind of thing, special edition. Who's the new publisher or the old publisher? It's it's always been image. Yeah. Yeah. They think, they think what's her face in it. Jen. um, Oh goodness. No, no, no. Oh my gosh. I'm so dumb. (laughs) They think pickle. What do they think? No, no, no. Bartel? No, no, no. no. Everyone shut up. <laughs> I'll tell Craig? you. I'll tell you. Jenny Craig. Yeah, they, they thank Jenny Craig. In the <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, Jenny McCarthy. No, no. Jen de Guzman. And uh, the original series editor was Jen de Guzman, who's done a lot of the editing for these miniseries and stuff back in early image stuff. Um, that was great. All right. Let's uh, move right along here. <laughs> More lightning. Ah. <laughs> uh, Aaron, why don't you go Ooh. next? I, t- I felt it in my bones. I did. It's been I, far I too long, Aaron. We need some lightning from Aaron. <laughs> I, I felt it. <laughs> All right. Oh, I, oh, I'm looking at your list now. Okay. I have a very eclectic sort of list here. So I'm, and there's a lot on it. So I'm really going to try to go quick because Carolyn will message me later and say, you need to shut up or something like that during my life. <laughs> <laughs> this uh, um, all right, so I started a couple of things. I, I, I wanted to try something different, and you know, I'm always in that Steve Orlando corner. So I started off with Star Wars 1 and 2 by Heavy Metal, Steve Orlando, Ivan Chavrin. So I'm just going to read a little bit of, you know, what's in the, the, the description of the book and then go into my sort of, you know, assessment. Uh, Stephanie Cohen's life is all going according to plan. The only problem is the plan isn't hers. She's crossing out of college, but her fast track to medical degree is something her parents decided for her. Uh, but on the eve of her 20th birthday, as Stephanie prepares to stare into her own personal summer abyss for yet another day, she gets a gift unlike any she could possibly expect. So what does all this mean? Basically, this is a story that starts off telling the story of Atlas and his seven daughters who are essentially uh, raging battle against chaos. Um, and unfortunately, spoilers, they don't win. Um Cut to 2,000 plus years later, and you find Stephanie uh, living the life of a mortal teenager who's, you know, successful and about to go off and do all these great things, but not really feeling it because she'd rather do things like focus on folklore and, and myths and mythology and things of that nature. Um, and then her birthday hits and whammo, you know, things start to wake up. So essentially... What she learns is of her true past or who she really is. And she acquires the powers associated with that. And her mission now is to find her six sisters so that they can, you know, resume the battle for chaos. The only problem is chaos has had a 2000 year head start and is basically everywhere. Uh, So she's got to figure out what's next. She's got to figure out who she is. Figuring out who she is involves, I think it's a very interesting trick that he pulls with this, uh, using her own voice as the voice that she needs to, find um it's I, I don't know if i'm saying that right but if you read the issues you'll know what i'm talking about um and then the second issue sort of ends with a, a nice little sort of cliffhanger where it may not be the warm and fuzzy reunion between sisters that you would think it would we you would think we would need uh for something like this to be pulled off um so there's that i, I really enjoyed them i i think um you know i always like sort of the the how steve orlando sort of takes <sighs> He takes things that we've seen in some version before and makes it a little bit different and asks a few more questions 
um, which is something that he's done all the things of Steve Orlando that I have I've read and reviewed for the show. So just something to take into account. I, I'd say give it a, give the first two a couple uh, a shot and see what you come up with. Uh, the next thing uh, is not a movie. It's not a book, but a movie. I finally got around to watching Catwoman Hunted. It was on HBO Max. Um, I'm not going to go through the whole cast, but Elizabeth Gillies is Selena Kyle. Stephanie Beatrice might sound familiar. Uh, it's Kate Kane. Lauren Cohen is Julia Pennyworth. Kelly Hu is Cheshire. Um, and then there's a bunch of other people in there that have other roles. Now, here's the thing. First, visually speaking, I did like this. This is not necessarily in the style of any of the previous stuff, not the pre-apocalypse war or the post-apocalypse war stuff that had more of a comic-y vibe. This is very much so in the style of anime. Um, but I will say, and I was almost live texting uh, while watching this with Carolyn, um, it starts off a little cringeworthy um, in the sense that they are, it, it seems as though Selena and subsequently Kate in a way that it's, they're, you know, they're interacting a little over-sexualized, um, a little too on the nose in sort of that relationship and a little too, I don't know, uh, Kate is easily seduced by Selena. I don't know. It's sort of dumbed down for the sake of getting this sort of naval, this male gazing pillow fight type scene, you know, that, you know, I'm sure someone somewhere who doesn't prefer to be woke will appreciate <laughs> anyway. Playing um, all the hits right yeah. now, Aaron. <laughs> you know, so that'll be fine. Huh? You know, listen, it's all been saved up. Just wait for it. Um, but I, 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 after that sort of opening, that sort of cringeworthy opening, I really began to enjoy it. I actually began to walk back some of my comments as I was talking to Carolyn uh, while watching. I was like, oh, okay. They've kind of straightened themselves out. I don't know. Maybe someone just said, let's just get this out of the way, this sort of cringeworthy spot out of the way. And it actually ended up becoming a very fun watch, um, sort of. Uh, there was no, first of all, I think the thing that I appreciated the most is there was no man there to save the day. Um, there was a little bit more grit to the fight here. This wasn't one of those things where, you know, people get slammed into walls and get up and walk away. It was sort of a little bit more realistic to that degree, but at the same time fun. Um, and I enjoyed watching it. Um, I'll probably end up watching it again. It is not, I don't think in the same wheelhouse or the same style or even the same universe as the other stuff, but you know, it is what it is. The other thing I watched was uh, seasons one, two, three, one through three of Sex Education with Nkuti uh, Gathwa and a bunch of other people. Um, anyway, yes. so I watched this primarily because, as they spoke about on the show a few weeks ago, the uh, announcement that Nkuti Gathwa is going to be the new doctor. And I wanted to see what vibe I got from him. And just so backtrack, it's Asa Butterfield and Gillian Anderson and a bunch of other people as well. Um I really liked this show. Um, I, I, if I had to grade the seasons, I think the first season gets a higher grade. The second season and the third season get high grades, but not as high. Um, I think it's one of those things where you just get a little bit close to jumping the shark where you try to do, to do too much of the same thing, but still the story was there and the story was entertaining and it was fun. And it was and it. And towards the end of season three, I don't know if anyone's ever uh, watched the series from, I think the early aughts called skins. Um, it's a UK series kind of introduced us to a bunch of uh, people that, you know, like Nicholas Holt and, and Dev Patel and a couple other people that, mm -hmm. you know, have gone on to have really great careers. Um, but it was a UK show. And this is almost exactly like that in the sense that it's giving you a story. Each story, each episode sort of focuses on another character, uh, another character's perspective. Now, what this told me is that if you get even the slightest hint of the charisma and joyfulness and range that you got from Mr. Gatwa, 
in this mm-hmm. show and, and the doctor, I am all, it will revolutionize the doctor. The, this guy oozes charisma. They ooze charisma and just, just the range from being able to make you burst into tears and, and then seconds later burst into laughter. I, I really appreciate it. And it really made me excited, you know, for them uh, to jump into this new role. So excited about that. Indeed. A couple of other things, a couple of quick hits from previous shows. Cause you know, I wasn't here, <laughs> but you know, I will not be ignored. Um, <laughs> Blood syndicate. Number one, I hear what you're saying, Steve. And as I was reading it, uh, I, I certainly was able to make some corollaries between the, the previous run and this. Um, I see where they're going. Not exactly right in your face, but it does it does get a little bit easier if you read the other milestone stuff. <laughs> Duo? Hmm. I don't know what to expect from this. Um, didn't love the art, but loved the story. Um, I, I want to see where this goes. Breakout 2, Joey, you are dead on. What? <laughs> what? 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 <laughs> None of this should make sense. None of this story should, what? I, I was just watching, I was like, what kind of, a, how do they know what kind of metal composite this alien ship is made of? And how do they know which torches that this high school girl could actually get to to be? I, it's, none of this makes sense to me, but I'm going to keep reading it, whatever. Lastly, Dr. Strange, Wanda. Here's what I'm going to tell y'all. Y'all need to re- re- you know review episode 485 Karen vision where I made my opinion about her clear then. That's all I'm saying. And that's my lightning round. Come for me. I'm ready. That's all you're going to say about Dr. Strange. <laughs> Listen, I, and I know you missed that. I made it very clear. She should not be seen as redeemed at the end of that film, at the end of that series. And I was vindicated. For WandaVision, you mean? For WandaVision. And I was vindicated in this. She was not, she did not leave that show, The Hero. You just enslaved a whole town and you said, whoops, sorry. And then that's that's not a redemption arc. That's what I'm saying. You had a lot of traumatized people who had no sort of, I don't know, there was nothing done to satisfy that that wrong. And there was nothing, I didn't feel as though there was, as she was going into the dark hole and everything was turning on bright magenta and red around her, that this was a sign that she was doing well, that she was going to (laughs) recover and move forward. I kind of feel like when the magenta is circling around your head, bad things are about to happen. Um, And so when that left, I was just like, all right, well, this is, we are not going to get a a hero's Wanda. Um, And we go into this. And even when they were walking through that thing, I was like, this is a setup. (laughs) <laughs> I just, my, I was like, this is a full on setup. There is nothing real about this. Um, and uh, as you saw what happened, that's what happened. So, yeah, no, that I, 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 she's done. You're not, you're not going to redeem her. What you're going to do is pick one of those other Wandas out no. of one of the other multiverses. You're going to pick one of those other Wandas out of the other multiverses. You're going to probably pick the one that she, who, who she body snatched. Uh, because that will introduce the kids and it'll make sense. And then somehow she'll make her way into this universe with the kids. And that's how you get your young Avengers done. Uh, I, <laughs> look, I agree with you, obviously. Um, I, I think there is, <sighs> there is a version with the children's crusade narrative where Wanda threw Billy and Teddy 
not Teddy, Tommy, are is forgiven slash redeemed. I never bought it in the comics either. She's still the pretender to me, obviously, you know, <laughs> um, but but I don't know. I, 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 I can't imagine this is the end of Wanda, obviously. No, um, no, no. I, I but agree. I also I can't. So. I also cannot believe that they're going to do a variant replacement. I absolutely believe that's what's going to happen. I think that replacement is going to look and see what she could have become if she hadn't done all the things, you know, that she needs to do to become a better person. Well, you know, there's that. Um, And, you know, well, let me put it, I don't know if they're going to do that. I think that's the only way they can bring her back. I cannot see them redeeming this other 6161. I just don't see how that's possible. Yeah, that's just me. No, I think you make a lot of valid points. All right. Uh, Let's see. What else do you got here? Uh, Obviously, uh, you enjoyed sex education because it's amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad to hear that Catwoman Hunted turned around for you because it sounded a little, little, uh, I don't know. I only got through a couple of material and I I turned it around. So, okay, Aaron, you got me. You've been right about the DCs, DC animated completely. So, yeah, I turned. Um, I, I remember I sent a message to Caroline and I said, "I am about twenty minutes into this, not even twenty minutes into this, and I already hate it." Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to keep watching, and I kept watching, and I was like, "Oh, oh, okay, oh, okay, well, oh, okay, well, okay, now I'm invested." So, so it turned itself around. It is very anime less- looking. Very, yeah, very Lolita anime looking yeah. at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, Did Carolyn end up getting turned around on it? Uh, well, she, she was tired when she was watching it, so she kept fast forwarding. <laughs> so she's like, I probably need to watch again. Um, the reasons why it turns around is because, you know, you're, the story starts off with you believing that Selena is just being overly sexual and overly, you know, just this, that, and sort of vapid and you know just not really focused on anything but stealing jewels but then as the story progresses and we get to the end you realize that there was always a plan and the plan was a little bit more altruistic um and focused and almost oceans eight type in a way Mm. uh that she had set up from the beginning um that she you know watched and she you know she took the hits to make sure that it went off without a hitch but you know it 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 wasn't easy it, it wasn't easy, and and it sort of became less of a, a vapid sort of paper thin movie, and became a little bit more grounded in in some things that are, I think, a little bit heavier uh, towards the end. So yeah, I'm really digging the artwork for that Star Wars that you were talking about. Yeah, it's got kind of like a like an amethyst look to it. I was trying to figure out. That's, maybe that's a good way. Of, yeah, that's a good comparison. I couldn't think of who comparatively it to to relate it to. So, but I like it. I liked it a lot. I like the coloring. Um, yeah, I like her attitude. That's what's reminding me of it. Kind of the the costume and the like the the little tiara crown thing and this shield looking yeah. thing. It just the purpley, almost crystalline, like yeah. weird jagged forms that are coming off of this character. It's pretty cool. It was fun. It was fun. I dig it. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Anything? Anything? 
Um, that's all I got. Does anybody else want to bring up anything for Aaron before we move on to Bob? I think we're I, done. But I will say, ahead, Joey, when you were talking about breakout to uh, during that, I was just like, I am 100. I, mean, I was like yelling at my iPad because I was listening to my <laughs> iPad. I'm yelling at my iPad. I'm like, this makes no sense. Yeah. How I was is like, this happening? And the main character is kind of just like wandering around in the background being like, um, are you doing that right? It's like, dude, shut up. <laughs> like, exactly. I don't understand what's happening. And then he's like, I'm going to go do it myself. And it's like, bro, no, you're not. <laughs> like, You are not going like, to go up there by yourself. <laughs> he's like, jump higher, buy more stuff. But like, what, what exactly are you doing? sir yeah um but yeah, yeah. I, I don't know but but it's at the amazing. end i'm with you i was like i'm gonna read the next one <laughs> <laughs> i'm wow. gonna do it because now i'm like well now i gotta see how they try to <laughs> how they're gonna make this happen um yeah I, that's an interesting book i think they're doing this on purpose because they know we're gonna look at it and be like this is this makes no sense but they'll read it anyway <laughs> that's how they get uh, you yeah it is all right, that's my extended lightning round now, I guess. All right, Bob, it is your turn. All righty. Well, Frank Verzel, the owner of Long Island Comics, the, my LCS for 40-plus years at this point, well, he threw Avengers number 56 into my folder, and big thanks for that. And I mean, he only did it because it's got this double Jane Foster cover. Now, I have been reading the Jason Aaron Avengers, but I'm always up for a, a Jane Foster story from his pen, even if I needed the recap to get up to speed on what the heck's going on over here. So without spoiling too much, we open on Jane being Mrs. Thor, tending to some overly large giant hogs, and doing some paintings of a kind of familiar golden-winged figure. There are shenanigans afoot, suffice it to say, and Mr. Aaron Javier Garan, David Curiel, and Corey Pettit they really brought depth and emotion to something that I wouldn't have even picked up to start with. So, hey, it's kind of a one and done for me. I can't speak for anyone else. I don't know if I'll buy 57, but I love 56. <laughs> three, three quick hitters. Next, we have Elvira in Horrorland by David Avalone, Sylvia Califano, Walter Perriera, and Taylor Esposito. And that picks up from the conclusion of the Vincent Price Elvira mini. But instead of Vincent's spell sending her home, the Mistress of the Dark finds herself at the Bates Motel. Now, what? yeah, great beginning to what I'm sure will be a fun ride through the movie-verse, because all movies count, according to Elvira and, well, David Avila. We have Adventure Man number 9 by Matt Fraction, Terry and Rachel Dodson, Clayton Cowles, and that winds up the second Ghost Gang arc, but not without a cliffhanger for next time around. Claire and the Crossdraw Kid are having a lovely New York moment. Think about the film Serendipity for that one. One that might portend some changes to the status quo, but don't fear, adventure fans, this isn't all rom-com stuff. There's usual fun mix of action humor, and it's just stunningly told, of course, by Matt Fraction and the Dotsons. In Captain Carter number three of five, by the way, by Jamie McKelvey, Enrica Cresta, Matt Miller, and the ubiquitous Clayton Cowles, the actions ramped up and the mysteries deepen, yet still providing a dose of current events for the woman out of time. This mini has been solid so far, and I understand the sales have been really, really good too, so here's hoping for much more of Peggy Carter's solo adventures in the future. 
Finally, and I mean that in a couple of ways, we've gotten the third volume of Kristen Gudsnuck's Minecraft With or Without You trilogy. And of course, it's delightful. Our twin monster hunters, Kira and Orion, and their mentor, Seen in the Thorough, are bringing their new friend, the Curse to Attract Monsters Atria, back to her hometown of Woodhaven. Um, gee, Kristen lives in Queens, New York, where there is a Woodhaven. I wonder if that's connected. Anyway, this journey also keeps them on the trail of that dastardly wither from before, which brings them some new traveling companions, an Iron Lady Golem and a chicken named Beak Boy 58. We don't have we don't want to ask about the other 57. It's 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 a tough thing. And they'll be part of the last epic battle, which comes with more than a few surprises, particularly about Atria's mom, Ventra. As always with Miss Guznut's work. Just tons of heart and humor, plus some great messaging about families and the power of positivity. And there's some stuff tucked into the cracks you got to look for. For instance, they find a erect library, and one of the books they're reading is The Wither of Oz. Just saying. <laughs> That's it for oh me. Boy. All right, I've got I've got questions. questions. Aaron, do you want to do you want to talk about Adventure Man first? Because I got a couple of questions. Yeah, I so I caught up on seven, eight, and nine of okay. Adventure Man, um, and I love the parts and pieces. You know, I love the lore. I love the believe it or not, I actually love the the time jumping and sort of the the legacy aspect of it. Like this is something that's passed down. The, the I can't remember the cowboy's name. I'm sorry. Um, the it's the crossbow kid in this. In, is, Thank you. In this, yeah. You know, I love the grandfather. I did. I didn't know where this was going. Like, I didn't know what I was supposed to. What the big again? Maybe I was fatigued, but I didn't know what the the big bad was. So really, what I just did was sit back and enjoy the relationships. I enjoyed the sisters. I enjoyed the the artwork, and I just sort of enjoyed it being there. Because I, I I was part of me was just like maybe you need to just go back and read them again. Because maybe there's something that wasn't connecting. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it was bad. I, I'm not at all saying it was bad. I, I really did enjoy them. I enjoyed each one that I read. I, I didn't know. I felt like there was another episode to this arc. There is. Another issue to this arc. There is. Another, just sorry, have to another wait couple a of issues to this. Yeah. And I, it was like, That's well, how Fraction's is, doing this. Yeah. It just seemed weird to me um, that this is where the dividing line is. But I get what he's doing. It's almost like, you know, back in the day when, you know, in the 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 spring, you know, all your TV shows would end on a cliffhanger. And then in the fall, mm-hmm. you have to wait all but, summer till the fall for them to pick up again and find out what's what. Yeah, I There's, there's a trade coming <laughs> for this arc in September, I think it is. Yeah, yeah. And then the rest I tell you what, I was reading – I was reading some of the back matter when I was first reading it. I was just like, wait, is he, is he trying to tell us that this is it? Is this, I was starting to freak out a little bit. Um, no, and then I kept plenty more like, to come. No, no, no. Okay. We're good. Okay. Yeah. I, I just, again, the, it's a different world altogether. It is not your straightforward. It is something that I would really love to see. Uh, this is one of the few that I can honestly say I would love to see transition into a, a, a series. A limited series. Amen. I think it will be interesting because it's not something that's so wild and bombastic that you don't that you know you, you the effects of it would just be so bizarre. I think it's something that can be easily maintained. Um, but 
the majority of the the issues are family relationships and and legacy stuff in history. It's not necessarily well, them sitting around the dinner table is just classic. The whole the yeah. sisters and and adventure man senior, so to speak. I think I who's Doc Savage? Series, I would, not, would you want to see it live action or animated? I would rather see it live action, to be honest. Okay. Um, but I I would not. It could not be like a full like. Just don't let it fall into the hand, the evil hands of the CW, um, <laughs> because then everyone would be nineteen for like six years and and ripped. Yeah. And it wouldn't make any sense. Um, but I would love to see the characters actually developed. Um, and because I think there's enough there. It's very rare that I'm going to say I would like to see a comic book. You know, I usually want to see comic books adapted into animated form because I think it's it's the medium is is undervalued, but. Um, this is something that I think because of the character points that it, it could work as a live action and focus on those, those areas that we talked about. Gotcha. All right. Is it question time? Sure. Okay. Here we go. Elvira. Uh-huh. I'm curious. So I, I haven't seen Elvira in a very long time, probably since I was a kid. Because my question is this. The real person. Right. Mm -hmm. What, what is the tone of the Elvira? Because this is like, she's starred in her own comics for a while now. Back in the, back in the DC era. And there were some other ones back in the day that are being reprinted. David Avalon has apparently been in contact with Ms. Peterson we, if you remember Elvira from Movie Macabre or from the movie Mistress of the Dark, that's the yep. Elvira you're getting. She is cheeky okay. and smart and goofy and still has tons of agency and sass. These have been brilliant across the board from day one, all with David Avalon's writing. Okay, that was pretty much my next question because I was wondering how the comics expand on the character because I've seen her as, you know, the host. And then I've seen mistress of the dark several times. And I'm just wondering how the comics expand beyond that they play off, in all this they, time that they've right, been happening. They play off that beginning and then things happen again. She just did a whole mini series with Vincent price. Yeah. Going into odd movies that never got released back in the day. that are actually the key to, releasing elder gods and so on and so forth. She bounced through time fighting with Dracula, literally Vlad the Impaler back in the day. And while she was on her, her run met, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and Mary Shelley. Oh, cool. And now she's on her way backwards into time. And the first place she ends up is the Bates motel. That sounds like so much fun. It, there'd been a lot of fun. And I think the first two have been collected Dynamite's done trades with all the extra covers because they're dynamite. Each book gets, you know, six extra covers. I'm trying to find some pages. All I'm seeing are covers. Yeah, because there are so many covers. But Yeah, there are. There are a lot. This book, for instance, chapter one in Elvira in Horrorland is mostly in black and white because it's, well, psycho. Oh, here we go. And it is called Block Party, B-L-O-C-H. For Robert Block, the fellow who wrote Psycho. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at that page right now. It's almost got a uh, Francis uh, Francovilia vibe to yes, it. Yes, absolutely. A little bit. This is cool. Yeah. Ooh. And if she, she's I'm, the Elvira you hmm. love, 
Trust me. I think I might be sold on this. I think this this is something I've got to dig into because this this looks like a lot of fun. I don't do many dynamite awesome. books, but they David Avalon did this. He was doing all the Betty Pages where she became a she became sort of Agent Carter, but Agent Page in her time, <laughs> fighting space aliens and all sorts of forties and fifties things. Uh, they've gone a different direction with that character. Dynamite has got a checkered history of, of such things. David Avalon, I think, has been given free reign to do what he wants with Elvira at this point and to keep her license running for them. Fun. Just cool. absolutely fun books. Sweet. And my other question, now that you've been through three Minecraft novels, how are, how is your knowledge of the Minecraft universe. Do you feel like you're getting somewhere? No, I could never play the game. I, I have nothing. <laughs> I, I understand Withers, and, and in this one they are talking a lot about very gamey things about sprucing up their inventory with potions and weapons and so on. I, you know, we did adventure for three seasons and some change. I, I kind of get that. I'm I'm here <laughs> for Kristen Godsnock's art and, and storytelling. And she... There's still tons of human characters beyond the blocky Minecrafty things, right? And there, the interaction between you know you have twin monster hunters and again a mentor. We've got family relationships, people making decisions, and one of the characters, Atria, it, she's um, semi spoiler for those who've not read the second one. She's given a cure for her her uh, mob and monster attracting curse. And she's debating whether she should do it. Will she be the same person if she doesn't have that? So on and so forth. And it's, ah, decisions are hard. Og. <laughs> yeah. I In real life, they really kind of are. But filled with all of Kristenisms, this chicken fat, this certainly spelled out things like lunge and glare and all the things that, that make the books a lot of fun. And I know... Almost nothing about Minecraft, but I know I, I enjoyed myself immensely with the. I, just, I read all three of them again. Read the first two yeah. again and this third one. So That's it's out fantastic. there. And I'm, That's sh- awesome. I'm sure John's kids will love it too. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to check in with him when he gets back to see if he uh, alerted the child to the existence of another uh, Minecraft novel. Yeah, was it? That's awesome. That's so cool that Kristen is spearheading that whole part because Minecraft is still so, so, so huge. It's such a giant moneymaker. That and Fortnite, two like kings of video games, have been for years. And comic stores continue to get phone calls about Fortnite-related books. <laughs> That's do you, awesome. Do you have the new Batman, the, the, the Marvel uh, Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll save like 14 of those for you and they'll never show up. Yeah, okay, great. Speaking of Batman and video games, I bought uh, – there's a sale going on on PlayStation Store right now. I bought Hot Wheels Unleashed. It is a legit like Hot Wheels almost arcade racer and you are all of the classic and the new Hot Wheels cars that you can get through blind boxes – and you're racing around tracks that are set up in different environments. So, like, you can be in in someone's living room. You could be outside in the backyard. And there are all these, like, supersized things around you and whatever. But there is a Batman event going on right now 
mm. with specialty cars and you go through Gotham and there's a storyline to it and everything. Fifteen dollars wow. they want for that add on to get you through the door. Such a scam. You also have to pay into the season to uh, go up and level. So I was cruising around yesterday doing some tracks and I noticed that I wasn't gaining any more XP and I got really pissed off and I found out through Reddit that like they gate you after you earn the first item in the season and you got to you got to pay for whatever's going on. So I am I am like super tempted to pay the $15 thing and go to Gotham with my Hot Wheels cars and ride around in the Batmobile and the Joker dragster and all the stuff no, that they have. No, I'm mad, okay? Because <laughs> they released a trailer for that new the second um Star Wars Jedi uh, yeah. uh thing, PS5 yeah. only. I'm still on this yeah. PS4 mode, bro. I'm, I'm getting phased out. I'm getting phased out. And you know what? <laughs> Dude, it's happening. it's happening. You're lucky. You're lucky that's been going on for as long as it has been it's, because of the pandemic. It, you, you would have been left in the dust a year ago. I'm mad about it. And you know what? I'm not going to get it. Too bad. I never even. You're not going to get a PlayStation one. Five. I, I don't know. If they make a, if, <laughs> yeah, they make a if they make a mini model that's black, then I'll get it. <laughs> I think they have skins that you can buy. I don't. Yeah, so I gotta buy a skin. No, I want a black yeah. device. And I want it shaped to be like a Batmobile. I want it shaped <laughs> like a Batmobile. I want it to be able to sleep on its side, and I want it to fit neatly into my little cabinet where my current PS4 thin is. That's that's where I want it to go. PS4 thin. I got nothing but bad news for you. I know. Yeah. <laughs> you can you can get the black shell for it though. I have the purple one. It's nice. If it if it's if they if they start selling it for two ninety nine, I'll get it. <laughs> Wait a while, my friend. They're they're already talking about the PS five Pro in like twenty three twenty four. So get ready. I get ready to shell it out all over again. I'm just gonna lay in bed with my Switch Lite playing Pokemon Legends RCS for the rest of my life. <laughs> You gonna you gonna get those new Pokemon games coming out later this I year? I probably will, bro. <laughs> With uh, Weed Cat and all the other ones that are coming out, dude. I I play these games and I know not like I I know nothing. Like I'm running around like catching whatever looks fun. I'm like I don't know what you are. I don't know what you are. I don't know what you are. But I want you. Gotta That's catch how you do, yeah, man. You gotta catch them all, and you gotta be the very best. Emily was like, "Are you still playing that game?" Because I still play. I pokemon go because i commute into the city so like it's really helpful for me like I, I feel like i'm accomplishing something when i'm playing pokemon go i hatch eggs and stuff and she goes you're still playing that didn't you win yet and i'm like bitch i gotta catch them all that the game never ends <laughs> amazing i'm just kidding i don't oh. say that to her yeah i would hope not oh, oh god all right uh i'm gonna do a lightning round now Ah, this one's for you, John. Pour one out. (laughs) Radiant Black, numbers 1 through 12, created by Kyle Higgins and Marcelo Costa, written by Kyle Higgins, art by Marcelo Costa, and co-written by Cherish Chan. There is also a whole bunch of other contributing additional artists and writers and stuff on this thing. Um, It's a long list. I'm not going to read them all. Anyway, let's move on. 
It's like a mature rated Power Rangers meets Tron. I got pulled into this right away. It's more or less about two friends who grew up in the same town. There's Nathan, an aspiring writer who spent several years of his life racking up a tremendous amount of debt. Yay, we can all relate to that. And his best friend, Marshall, a go-nowhere film jockey who works at the local video store. Think Randall from Clerks. At least that's my summation of him. Anyway, one thing leads to another, and Nathan ends up bonding with a black hole that turns him into a superhero called Radiant Black, his chosen name. Uh, Nathan is out there using his powers for good when he comes across the Red Ranger, sorry, Satomi Stone, uh, who positively houses Nathan into the ground, landing him in the hospital in critical condition. This is when the story takes a turn that I did not see coming, the first of many. Uh, as Marshall then becomes the new Radiant Black. So the lesser of the two then becomes the superhero. Hmm. The story is very, very fast paced. It has a lot of attitude and it looks jaw droppingly gorgeous from panel to panel. The Radiant fights and their battles against the forces of evil are particularly eye popping. Seriously, this book has some visuals to it. Uh, the book is still delving into the backgrounds of its characters with only Nathan, Marshall, and Satomi being explored so far. There's also Wendell, as I call him, the Yellow Ranger, and Eva, who I call the Pink Ranger, their radiance. Uh, I blazed through the 12 issues that I had, and then I bought the remaining issues and spinoffs as well. It was that good. Uh, I'm all in. It's a really gripping story. The Radiant World is very interesting. Uh, the heroes periodically go into this like limbo dimension where they learn about their powers and kind of the history of what they are and how they got there. Uh, they have their own language. And so they actually have like they use the language in the book and they have a decoding page in the back of the of one of the issues so that you can find out what they're saying when they're speaking to one another in this dimension. It's pretty cool. You start to recognize a lot of the symbols uh, after a while. It also helps that a lot of what they do when they use this language is curse. So once you've counted the amount of symbols, you can probably guess mm -hmm. what it is that they're saying. Um yeah, it is. It's like I said, it's a little bit more mature than you would think, but it doesn't bog the story or characters down in any way. Um, it's appropriate profanity, if you will, that if I was in their situation, I would definitely let a few expletives fly uh, as the crazy things that they get up to happen in this book. There's also a tremendous amount of like backstabbing and betrayal and sad stories for characters and how they kind of came into their powers. Uh, which make them very interesting to me. Uh, let me see what else do I got here. Uh, I will say there is a bit of a tonal shift toward, I think it was issue 10 or 11 that I didn't love, but I'm hoping the elements in question will continue to be explored as I keep reading. I've talked to John off air about this, and he said that he also shares my concerns, but also that I have to keep reading. So... I'm about uh, two issues behind from being current with the main arc, but there's also the Red Radiant series, and I think it was called Supermassive uh, that I picked up. So if you like things like in uh, Invincible or Power Rangers, this is a no-brainer, must-read. 
Uh, it never takes its foot off the gas. And the world building is really interesting so far. I also like the array of personalities that we've gotten with the Radiant team. They're all very different, which makes them very cool to learn about. Um, and I still have two more characters, uh, Yellow and Pink, that I got to kind of delve into their backstories and see how they wound up where they were. Uh, it's cool. It is extremely Tron, extremely Power Rangers, but all good. So there you go. Um, I didn't have a lot of time to read over the, the past week. I spent a lot of time in front of my television with Bronwyn. I'll talk about that more in a minute. But last night, I was cruising around on Comixology. I was looking for something, and I saw this really striking cover for uh, a manga called Happiness. And I was like, ooh, what is that? Oh, free? I like free. Let me go and check this out. Yo. I read eight volumes of this sucker before I went to bed last night. It was that good. I'm talking like well over 700 something, 800 something pages of this thing. I could not put it down. It is a Japanese vampire story with kids. I know we have little monsters going on from Jeff Lemire right now, which is also very cool. Happiness is not little monsters. Happiness is this seemingly mature, seemingly, you know, it is very mature. I'm not going to say seemingly mature. Um, It's basically, it starts off, it's about this kid named Okazaki-kun who is on his way to the video store one night. He's going to go and return a rental and he ends up bumping into a vampire who leaps down out of the sky and bites him and they're draining him and they look into his eyes and they ask him, they say, do you want to die? And he says, I don't want to die. And they end up turning him. The problem is, is that Ozaki Khan, he doesn't know what happened to him. Either he doesn't rightly remember or vampires just, they're not really a thing. Nobody believes that they're turning into a vampire. They think that they're just sick. So what you end up with is this slow burn turn for vampirism in like a very like late years, middle school, early years, high school kid who is going to a school who is surrounded by hormones. He's kind of a loner. Um, There's period blood, obviously walking through the halls that is kind of tripping his senses. And this is an opportunity where something like this could be treated very immaturely and could become kind of a a gag of the book uh, in something that was less mature. This is handled very, very well and is actually really interesting in how would your body react if you were turning into a vampire and you were surrounded by these elements and these things were invading your senses and you don't know what's happening with you. So as the story goes on, He kind of collects these group of friends by one way or another and pulls them into his vampire drama. It all gets very, very, very serious. And this book goes way off the rails uh, at one particular point and just goes and goes and goes from there. 
I have two volumes left of this. Unfortunately, only volumes one through eight were a part of the Comixology Unlimited scheme. So I have to I have to purchase nine and ten to finish the series and then end up only owning nine and ten unless I want to buy the rest of the series outright. Uh, honestly, which I'll probably do, and I think I might want to collect this physically because I really, really enjoyed it. It is super intense, and it is very, very different from other vampire stories that I've read, which is saying a lot because not only have I read a bunch of them, but vampires for a good number of years got very tiresome. And just like the zombie stuff with The Walking Dead where you feel like you had seen it all, that was kind of how I felt about vampires. And this is taking the that concept and just doing some really, really wild things with it. It is terrifying. It is kind of disgusting at times. Um, do not get attached to anyone. I have had my heart broken at least three times oh. while reading this thing. Uh, and even one of my one of my favorite characters, there was some really, really, really heinous stuff that I'm happy to, I'm not going to say who it is, but I'm happy in case you read it, but I'm happy to say that they're still around, but oh my God, the, the ordeal that they've been through for their, their, their love for this person and their, like their bond with this person that has pulled them into this orbit of these vampires and this story and this thing that is going on, what they go through to kind of get to the bottom of what's happening was really, really, really inspiring and heart-wrenching. And I, I felt for them in every terrible moment that they live through at this point of the, of the story that I'm in. Uh, like I said, I only have two volumes left. It's super cool. The art is absolutely gorgeous. And in a for, for me, what is a rare occasion is that uh, th- this manga has color at some point. So like particularly in the beginning of some of the volumes, you'll get these absolutely gorgeous like pencil and watercolor paintings for the first couple of pages, or maybe some of the flashback sequences are done in a different art style. Uh, And the art gets really, really extreme when the vampire stuff starts happening, especially the vampire hunger. Uh, Everything becomes very like hallucinogenic and stretches out and there's sweating of blood and it's just, oh, it's so gross and it's so good. Anyway, it's called Happiness. <laughs> it's, it's on uh, Comixology Unlimited or you could buy it elsewhere if you so choose. If you like vampire stories, extreme vampire stories, uh, this is definitely something that you're going to want to check out. I will warn you though, uh, it starts off innocently enough, but as you keep going and they keep ramping up kind of the the mystery and the violence, it gets very graphic. So you kind of need a strong stomach for it. But if you have that sort of thing, it, you are in for a ride. Uh, I, will, I will buy the last two this evening and I will read the hell out of them because I have to know how this ends. Uh, this might be the first manga series that I will read from beginning to end. So if that, that tells you anything, uh, yeah. 
Um, I got other stuff here, but those are my books. <sighs> Anybody want to ask me any questions? Yeah, do I've we really know that it's manga. an end? Oh, go ahead, Aaron. I'm sorry. No, I was saying I don't think I've ever read a manga. Um, I feel like I want to give it a shot just to, to see if I can adjust to the flow of things. It sounds fascinating, Steve, and beautiful as well. Now, so far there are this many volumes, eight, you were saying, I guess? I believe it's over. I'm pretty sure that it's complete. I'll have to look yeah, that up. I, I just don't I, – I go into a store that, that when they specialize in manga and you look on the shelf and some things are 300-ish collections in. It's – Yeah. Eight, eight is doable. Gonna look, eight is doable. I'm going to look it up. Um, I'm pretty sure it's just the 10. Oh, it's 10. But okay. um, let me see. I'm, I'm looking I'm looking it up right now. Um, I don't mm, – volumes 10, list of volumes, uh, original run from 2015 to 2019. So it's over. It ends with 10. Okay. Um, and I will say, like, where I'm at in the story, it feels like it's coming to a close. Gotcha. So – um, I mean, I just, it is like it, the vampire vision is really cool. Like when they look out into the night sky, it kind of looks like starry night. Ooh. Uh, so you, you get like all these like swirly, gorgeous visions of the night sky over like Kyoto and stuff like that. Um, some of the relationships and some of the bonds between the characters, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's almost definitely a cultural thing, mostly something that I'm probably not familiar with, but the dedication to one another that these characters have is really, really heartening. And the extremes that they go to, to make sure that the other ones are okay, or the betrayal that you feel when one of them has been turned and a character that you've loved for several volumes is attacked and they ain't coming back. And I was like, Oh, they're going to get up. They're like, they're up. Ob- they're obviously going to get up and they're going to be a part of the Nope. Ooh. They never got back up. And it was horrible, horrible. And like a great way of being engaged with the story, but also like kind of, you know, heartbreaking mm-hmm. in a way. Um, Cause they were very much a, and innocent in all of this. And then you wonder if toward the end, if like the pull of the vampire and kind of that, that charisma and that power that they have, and if left unchecked and no one ever tells you how to be a vampire and it brings out some of the worst traits that you might have, what kind of monster do you become? And, and where's the limit in who you attack? You know, what if there is none? And yeah, I, I was just, I was blown away. I never, I, I, these volumes are like close to 200 pages and I was, I was going through them in 20 minutes pop, like just, just blowing right through them because it was so engaging. And honestly, like reading the manga and, and stuff like that, once you remember how to do it and you start doing it, it's like riding a bike and you just, you just go and it's I don't know. I, I I loved it. I can't wait to finish it later tonight. I might make uh, my bedtime reading some Elvira and some uh, some vampires. So I'm going to have yeah. some very nice dreams tonight. 
Uh, yeah, it's wicked. I'm gonna actually. I'm gonna send you guys a couple of uh, of images in the uh, the chat here, just so you can see what this thing looks like. There's one of the Starry Night in there, and I'll send you this one too, and then we'll move on. Um, let me see what else do I got here, real quick. Uh, just a couple of television hits. I watched Stranger Things for Volume One. Uh, I am not going to spoil anything. I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. In my opinion, this is the most fun that I've had with Stranger Things since the first season. It's not perfect. There are definitely some things that I feel like Stranger Things hasn't really learned. And all the time that it's been around hasn't learned its lesson from maybe some of its failings or maybe some things that they probably should have just left alone. But they planted those seeds at the beginning, and so they kind of feel like they have to see it out. I don't know that you do. You're probably still going to go there, but whatever. There's so many more interesting things going on. Uh, there are some new characters introduced in this season that are just phenomenal. Uh, Eddie the Freak Munson is an all-time Stranger Things character for me. He's great. He's this... Uh, like heavy metal stoner uh, D&D game master character who is actually really sweet. He's kind of got a heart of gold. Uh, he's a little intimidating when you first meet him, but but he gets there. Uh, it is it is Nightmare on Elm Street. Like you, if you've seen the headlines or whatever, like there there's so much inspiration from a Nightmare on Elm Street happening in this season from the main villain to just kind of the way that he operates and what is happening in Hawkins this season. Uh, we haven't gotten all the answers for what's going on yet, but it's been a really, really fun ride. Uh, I love the emphasis of music in this season. There's, there's lots of bangers going around and uh, it is just for all that. The episodes are very long. They're each like an hour and a half or even longer than that. In some cases, it melts by. We 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 binge this over the weekend in two sittings and and got through them and just had an absolute blast with it. Like I said, there are some plot elements that could probably be dropped, um, but otherwise, still a lot of fun. It's been cool to kind of watch the cast grow up over the years as this show has continued, uh, and it's amazing seeing kind of some of the flashback sequences or even watching the recap at the top of the season and seeing how young they were when they started versus how they come into this season. It's night and day. It's crazy. Uh, last but not least, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi episodes one and two. They dropped this on Friday. Uh, this was a very big deal. Everybody had been waiting for this for a long time. I'll say this and then Joey, you can pop in if you want. I enjoyed these episodes. I really like, uh, Moses Ingram's character. I think she is by far the most interesting element of the, uh, new show so far for me. I am not a big fan of the prequels. I don't mind them, but I blasphemy. Don't. <laughs> I, dude, I don't. I, I'm I'm not the biggest I'm, Star Wars fan I'm in general. Um, I just never saw the big deal with Obi with Ewan McGregor's Obi Wan Kenobi. Like people really, really, really love him. Yeah, I think I when think you're, that's I think you're when you're wading through a shit field, 
and someone gives you a cup of pee, you'll take the pee, I guess. What? I think. I think that Ewan McGregor was a shining spot in the prequels, and that's why people really like him. Probably, yes. Um, my, my metaphor thing, needs work. Yeah, I like really. it. I like it. <laughs> my favorite thing about these Star Wars, these Disney Plus Star Wars shows, I like getting to see the other parts of the Star Wars universe. I am so glad that we're out of those core movies and we're exploring more of these either familiar planets or new planets and new places. The like Blade Runnery city setting that they have for the second episode of this season, I thought was very cool. Uh, like I said, I think the new, some of the new characters are a lot of fun. Kumel Nanjiani was great uh, in the little bit that he showed up for this. I hope that there's more of him and um, it's cool. It's, it's a little funny how they've been doing the Star Wars stuff for a while that it's kind of starting to feel a little bit on rails, but it's still a really fun ride regardless. Yeah. So that's my, my you know, little assessment of that show. It's a good time. I I'm looking am, forward to watching more of it. I am. So starting with Obi-Wan, mm-hmm. I love Obi-Wan Kenobi. Great character. On Marvel Unlimited, it's like they have one of the banners that's like, read Obi-Wan Kenobi the series, right? And it's like, I'm pretty sure there's only one issue of that. You click on it, there's only that one issue, which was an awesome issue that we read for one of our award shows way back when. Um, But uh, I love the character. I do like the prequels a lot, um, metaphor aside. Um, They are seriously flawed films, of course. Uh the sequel trilogy is as well, but I think there's high points that everywhere mm-hmm. the, your comment about the, on the rails thing is very interesting because I think that uh, because they've handed over the reins of this like star Wars expanded universe, basically to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, like all, all the shows kind of seemed the same, you yeah. know, like the Mandalorian, the, the Obi-Wan Kenobi, the, 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 the Boba Fett, show and then you go in the, the, the you go into the the cl- I love that you couldn't even remember the name the, of it the Boba Fett show the Boba Fett show <laughs> the Clone Wars like all like all the all of these shows are using similar characters and all of these Disney Plus shows in particular the the live action ones because they're using the same technology they all look the same too you know um yeah. now with that said I really enjoyed it and I had a really good time. And I know that there are like particularly younger audiences. I work in a school and a lot of the like younger kids, like middle school age kids freaking love Mandalorian mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan and all this stuff. So they were, I think, I think it's, I think it's doing its job. I think it's telling really fun stories. I really enjoyed both episodes. Um, but to your point, none of them are really, risk-taking kind of groundbreaking shows, you know? Um, but I'm having a good time. Stranger Things, the episodes are too long. I got through three. I enjoyed them. I will say that first episode started, and I was like, that is a 30-year-old man when <laughs> when one of those little boys walked on stage 
I was like, <laughs> I was like, that is a 30 year old man. You can't tell me otherwise. I think it was Will or whatever walks on. I'm like, he's 30. He's like 20 something, but like he's, Noah, Noah Schnapp yeah, or whatever. He is definitely not 14. I'll give you that much. Um, and, and and he is also definitely one of the most underdeveloped characters in that series. Oh, in the whole first episode, I think he has one line. <laughs> um, but anyway, like I, 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 for me, the show is starting to show its age, both literally and also just in terms of the kind of going to the well a little too much. And now that we have so many characters and now that we have so many kind of different storylines, and this is just in the first three episodes, there are already a few characters and storylines where I'm like, I don't care about this. This episode is 90 minutes and 15 minutes of this. I don't care about. Um, I'm eager to get through the end of volume one. I'm very happy to hear that the fifth season will be the last season. Cause I think the stranger things, I think the Stranger Things thing has passed, um, and I'm eager to see it finished. I'm still, I still enjoy watching the show, um, but the second they were like, "Yeah, the episodes are 90 minutes," I was like, "All right, get off your high horse, Duffer Brothers. Come on, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, who do you think you are, Scorsese, going to Netflix and being like, let me get three hours, let me get four hours to tell the Irishman, like, or like, you know, Spike Lee being like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give me three and a half hours to tell Defy Bloods. Like, you're not there yet. I don't care how big Stranger Things are. Like, you don't get 90 minute episodes. Do go to the editing room, okay? Um, but like you said, the music looks great. The, the the cinematography for that show has always looked great. You know, uh, the effects are great as well. I was, again, no spoilers, but that for, like in the first episode, and then it obviously occurs a few times more, like. When, when stuff goes down and and characters start, you know, biting it, oh, yeah. that, those, yep. those effects, I, I lost my mind. I was <laughs> so freaked out. Um, yeah, so it's good, but I'm glad it's ending at the end of next season. Yeah, it's, it's, it's had its time. And like, and to be honest, like, Paper Girls is right around the corner. I know, I know. So hopefully that's going to pick up the torch. And I hope that A, that it's good, and B, that people respond well to it because I would you know who else like I to hate, see it do well. I hate Mike. Yep. And because I hate Mike, and Mike he's sucks. like the quote unquote main character, kind of like. Well, I know, I know he's not anymore because they've really expanded out the cast in a nice way, but like him and Eleven, like I, I'm just, I'm over it. I'm over it. I'm like Eleven, like drop that 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 sucker. Like he is just, he is just annoying as all get out. He also looks like he's like 27 years old playing. A he's clue. He's he is cl- as clueless as they come. Uh, Mike is one of my least favorite characters in the series. Yeah. Bar none. And I hate that he's like at the center of it. Uh, he's not, though. I know. Like, I'm telling you right now, him, Charlie Heaton and uh, Will, the three of them in particular. And there's another character who's great, who comes along and travels with them. They get sidelined pretty hard like i said i'm trying not to spoil anything for anybody but there's at least three things going on this season that you're gonna ask yourself do we really need to do this? that's what i'm saying and I- one of the things that stranger things has a problem with is its relationship stuff yeah 
I they, yeah I'm I yeah well I'm we're gonna watch another episode tonight after we finish recording uh, it's gonna take me a little while but I you know I remember the fo- those first three seasons just like one weekend bang 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 but you know I'm not a young man anymore I can't be doing that I, stuff all the time I, I'm older than you and I blew through them yeah well you know I got a lot going on um, we I also don't want I don't want like a Game of Thrones situation where like the last season that cast is just there because they're contractually obligated to be there, you know, and watching this season, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, don't you guys have other things that you want to be doing than stranger things? People are waiting, man. Yeah. People wait on their stranger things. They wait on their Cobra Kai. That I don't get. You don't get the Cobra Kai hype? No, maybe it's just a generation thing. My parents are also like Cobra Kai. And I'm like, okay. My mom loves Cobra Kai. That's what I'm saying. Like, like they love it. They love it. I like it. I watch it. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's all right. I don't know. Um, I met Ralph Macchio a couple times. Anyway. anyway uh, go watch The Northman. Northman is fantastic. Um, all right, that's it. I've talked enough. <sighs> Let's do some news and then some questions and get out of here. Cool. All right. Um, so uh, we'll start with the biggest news first. Joe Casada. Joe Casada is leaving Marvel. He is saying goodbye, not to comics, just to Marvel. Uh, and this has already happened. He he has left his station, and he is going off to do other things. His time has come. Says, it's been one hell of a ride, and I am proud to have been a part of Marvel's rags to riches story. And satisfied that I accomplished the job I was hired to do 22 years ago. Seriously, where did the time go? Uh, but none of this happens without one very important person, you. Uh, He goes on to say that he's got a lot of other irons in the fire and that this is not the last that we've heard from him. Uh, He says he has a big announcement coming, uh, insanely cool projects that you'll be hearing more about in the coming months, including a short indie film that he's writing and directing. So Sure. Go for it, Jim. Yeah. Uh, So I guess no uh, no more Cup of Joe at the at the Comic Cons and uh no more Joe Casada at Marvel. I am I I am not entirely familiar with Mr. Casada. Yes, Is there anyone else dude, that would like to jump in? You don't think you are, but you are. Yeah. Do you like Probably. do you like do you like Daredevil? No. Do, oh, okay. Well never <laughs> yes I do. Daredevil, Electra, Spider Man, like the iterations of those characters today come right out of that Marvel night stuff that mm-hmm. he really spearheaded back at the turn of the turn of the two thousands. Um, and a lot of his work as editor in chief that he then handed off to Axel um, w- was to build up like the event calendars and build up those street level heroes and, and put Bendis where he like Bendis is where he's at. Because Casada championed Bendis and put him on books, you know? Um, so I think that a lot of the framework for Marvel Comics that you see today, it starts with 
Casada's work with the Marvel Knight stuff back at the beginning of the 2000s. Um, so even though you you haven't necessarily looked at his art or read his work or or really been attached to it, you have you have read books that were direct direct lineage back to to what he kind of spearheaded uh, 15, 15, 20 years ago. Um, I know that he's been a, also a very kind of controversial figure because of some of those very things. Um, but as someone who kind of came up with Marvel during that era, uh, that's, that's, that's kind of my thing. So like I, it is kind of, it's, it's going to be, it's surprising to see him go because he's, because for my time reading comics, he has been Marvel in a lot of ways. Even when Axel and CB became the editors in chief after him, Casada was still there. You know, it's like Jim Lee over at DC, you know, it's like, he's just always there. Um, and uh, it's going to be weird without him there. I think. And Rags to riches is uh, a perfect way to put it, because if you look at when he went, he came out of the whole image crew. He was a, a big time writer, artist, Marvel had sold off all their properties. They were in really bad shape. They had nearly gone bankrupt. And over the course of his first couple of years, things began to turn around in the press for what they were doing, in the in terms of what the books were selling, what they meant to people. As you're saying, Joey, a lot of people who are now grown-ups got into Marvel in that period as 10, 12, 13-year-olds who are now the grown-ups who are, well, they're at film studios. They're at other companies. They're, they're burgeoning writers and artists of their own. He made a difference. And as you say, not everything not everything hit or hit the way he intended. And some people hate some of what he did. But you know what? Proof is in the pudding. There's a company now that exists that wouldn't have enough for his efforts. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, you know, like Marvel Knights, Spider-Man One Day More. So yeah. it's like, you, know, <laughs> yeah, you, got, yeah. you got ups and downs, you know, it's it's pretty tough. But uh, yeah, it's it's crazy to like you said, even just like the Cup of Joe thing, like that's a throwback to Stan Soapbox, yep. and he like Cup of Joe, like I remember reading floppies, and it was in the back of every book, and like that's something that even now you don't necessarily have. So it is going to be a little odd without him there. So we'll see. We'll I mean, best of luck, man. Like we'll see what mm-hmm. he what he's got. Uh, Maybe I, go over I, to Dan Didio's company with Frank Miller. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, we'll see. Uh, Aaron, do you want to chime in at all? You know, it's interesting. I am going to miss, you know, that presence. I mean, I, I, I will be honest and say I never read all, all the the Daredevil stuff in in the back, but I, I don't know. I, I feel as though Joe Casada is, you know, synonymous with my experience at NYCC because so much of the news that I would gain, you know, of what was coming next with Marvel and all that stuff would come out of his Cup of Joe at NYCC, and that's kind of how I was introduced to him and sort of began to see his presence. Throughout the company, I'm curious because I couldn't. I maybe I didn't read far enough, but I was skimming through the article trying to understand well what specific. You know, they always give the press stuff as to what they're going to be doing next. But I wonder what what it was about this specific time, you know, in Marvel that you know led him to leave. But um, I, I can legitimately say I'm going to miss his presence, and I'm hoping, you know, that it doesn't have a too detrimental of an effect. But you know, I very much appreciate what he brought to the to the medium. So, yeah. All right. I wonder if somebody is going to be taking his position 
or what is going to transpire in that regard. Uh, but uh, kind of people in his position now. I mean, Kevin Feige is sort of a creative consultant for the comics as well now. Mm-hmm. We have other editors, so it, it's his position is semi-filled in terms of the business of making comic books, in terms of what he brought to the table, his knowledge of what Marvel was before he got there and since. I You don't replace that easily. I wonder how this is going to influence the books going forward, if, like, if that impact is going to be felt mm-hmm. in any way. Be interesting to see. That kind of leads us into a listener question. That we have coming up in just a bit. But uh, let's hit these other two things real quick. Um, I just threw this in here. It's really not much of anything. But uh, if you're an Android user, uh, Amazon is removing in-app comiXology purchases <laughs> for Android users. So just a just another way for them to wow. just keep knocking it out of the park. Um, and this has already happened. This happened on... The 31st of May, uh, Android users will no longer be able to buy comics, graphic novels, or manga, or subscribe to Comixology <laughs> Unlimited when using the Comixology app with an Android with the release of the app version 4.0. So what do they do instead? Uh, Andro- Android, you, it, it doesn't, they make it sound more heinous than it actually is, Um Android users are still able to read books in their libraries, preview samples, and browse titles within the app following the update. Um, they're saying that this is this is in compliance with Google's updated Play Store policies. Purchasing is no longer supported in the Comixology app for Android. I wonder if the Play Store is like they weren't they couldn't come to an agreement on their garnishing of sales through the app or something like taking a piece mm-hmm. of the pie and they couldn't settle on something. Uh, Comixology readers can continue to read and browse uh, and subscribe and subscription members can continue to borrow in the app as they usually do while browsing in the app. Readers can add items that they would like to purchase to their, to their lists, which are also accessible on the Amazon website. Oh. Uh, customers can continue to purchase books, magazines, and comics, as well as subscription content from the Amazon website. Gee, what a surprise! Yeah, so they're basically they're 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 kicking you out of the app, and they're telling you to go Amazon. to their store, which is what everybody else has been doing for a while. This is just one more way to shut down that level of access, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Is what I'm gleaning from this. Uh, Just another way to inconvenience. Go ahead. Not only inconvenience us readers, but I, I I was, I was on my like monthly Twitter read through when uh, this news dropped too. And a lot of creators were like, it's just another way. It's just another time now again, that Amazon is digging into our sales, right? Because you can no longer buy a book. If you stumble upon it, you have to go the extra steps to go to the store, go to Amazon, go to whatever and buy it there. Right. So all of these different like the, the fact that you can no longer just same thing with a comic book shop, like the, the fact that you can no longer go to a single place and browse and buy takes money out of the pockets of creators. Right. 
uh, let alone the more convoluted process. Now it makes it for a subset of readers as well. Yeah. And from what I've heard, they still haven't replaced a lot of uh, creator owned content on their platform. I know that uh, friends of ours that have lost sales and have lost a means to represent their work on that platform uh, still has not been fixed. Uh, And with cons being the way that they are, even though they are back, not necessarily in full swing, but like, you know, they're kind of few and far between still, um, you know, it's just another way of cutting off access to those books and those creators. And it's, it's eating into their livelihood Mm -hmm. and it, it really, really sucks. So yeah, I, uh, Oof. Well, we'll, we'll talk about this. Okay, like I said, we have a listener question. We'll talk about this more in a minute. Go ahead, Aaron. What is the end game? I don't even understand anymore what the end game is here. Like, what is the objective? There doesn't even seem to be a the end a... game. The end game is to fold Comicsology and move everything to Kindle. That's the end game. No, I, I guarantee it because like, there's no longer an online reading app. There's no longer a designated Comixology shop. There is, and and when you open up, like when I open up my Kindle app, all of my comics are there. So eventually, I imagine the Comixology app now is a redundancy, and they are slowly just making it a redundancy so that they can fold it and just merge it with the Kindle app entirely. That's the end game. Yeah. Whittle everything away so there's no one's going to miss what's left. Sure. Just so disrespectful. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Capitalism. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yay. Free market. Okay. Uh, what else do I got here? Oh. Got some nights, baby. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, so I was I was out here a little a few episodes ago being like, Hey, I know this person that's in this thing and maybe it won't be so bad. And, you know, we'll have to wait for a trailer to find out. CW dropped a trailer for Gotham Knights on, uh, on Tuesday with, uh, Misha Collins playing Harvey Dent and a whole bunch of young actors playing young heroes (laughs) Including and, and and maybe not all heroes. Did I hear that one of them is the Joker's daughter? Maybe. Yes, it said they said it. It must be true. Mm. Um, I don't want to. I don't want to back on this too much because I haven't seen it. It's not out yet. Um, I just the CW has a sheen to it, a film, not always. But it just it has this very saccharine vibe for me when I when I t- the rare occasion that I tune in for certain stuff, uh, and this just looks it's dripping with it in in every way, shape, and form. And I'm not necessarily that I'm the target audience for this. I'm not, but for people looking forward to this, I am officially concerned. That is my. Analysis. Concerned. This is concerning. I was was very thrown by this, even by CW standards. I was like, this is what you're doing with this? 
All right. I don't know how this is going to help these characters, but okay. Well, what characters? I It is not what I thought it was. Again, I don't – when you talked about Gotham Knights and it was like Harvey Dent or whatever, I was like, oh, are we doing like a Nightwing, Batgirl, like a whole kind of thing with this? And then I watched this trailer and I was like, I don't know what's going on. It looks like – it looks like every – like you said, every other CW show. Yep. But they've also canceled every other CW show. So I'm yep. like, what is the what is the point of this? Even if it does end up being something cool, wh- wh- there is no promise here of of anything really. I often wonder if whatever if what goes into the CW CW black box is what comes out. Because to your point, Steve, when you say it's saccharine, I don't know if it's less as, as much saccharine as it's a very hyper stylized approach to doing television. Where yeah, I could it, totally be using the wrong word. Go ahead. Where it becomes really less about the content and more about the visual um, and what the visual is, is is going to try to impart upon the the, the viewer. Um, I, I it rarely rarely offers anything new in its delivery, and when it does, it doesn't last. I mean, I I, I look at Black Lightning, which had which was a part of that universe, but had a very different sort of stylized approach to it. Um, that, you know, got a very limited run. Um, but everything else sort of has this sort of, I don't know, arrow slash gossip girl slash approach, I don't know, to it, that honestly, when you marry that to a, a property that you've historically been excited about, it does sort of take away from your expectations of how well it's going to hit because I feel as though it, it, there is more of an, there's more of an approach to what can be something that you will be able to, to snatch a couple of scenes from and make a really stylized uh, commercial Um, and not often delivering. Um, and then also, I, I really sometimes believe that, you know, except in rare occasions, Superman and Lois, I do believe that they sometimes write themselves into a corner from like episode one and then tr- spend the rest of the show's run trying to write themselves out of it. And not always successful. Mm-hmm. So that's just my thought. And I, I don't see anything different. Like you said, like Joey said. It looks just like everything else in the CW, yet everything else in the CW was canceled. I saw this, and I really thought Riverdale. I really did. Mm-hmm. not even trying to be funny. I really thought Riverdale, which makes begs the question, well, why then did you cancel Riverdale? Well, because this is in Gotham, Gotham City. Got to make room for the new kid. Look, I, I totally get that there are diamonds in the rough when it comes to the CW. I think the Superman and Lois show... Uh, that I've seen of it anyway, has been excellent. Uh, I was having a lot of fun with Stargirl when I was checking that out. Um, First episode was a little rough, but it settled in real quick and was just a lot of fun from then on out. Um, But yeah, like it's, I don't know. It's got an attitude to it that I just don't know that it's for me anymore. I'm a, you know, 41-year-old dude sitting around, judging these 20 somethings running around as superheroes. Like uh, clearly this is not for me. So I don't know. I wish everybody the best. I hope that CW can find a way to either build themselves back up or 
just port everything over to HBO Max and and take advantage of of not having the handcuffs on you when it comes to wanting to do like I don't know euphoria level teen content if you want. Yeah, but I also don't want that to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> DC seems to want it, but then they they end up doing doing the CW. Hey, stuff. never forget Bat and Cat on the roof. Remember that? That was that, was, that seems like a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know the the jury the jury remains out. We'll have to wait until uh, until this airs. I was quite surprised by how quickly they churned out this trailer. That stuff must all be from the first episode because they just went into production for this thing not too long ago. Unless they've been filming it in secret, I have no idea. But anyway, Gotham Knights coming at you. Let's move on. Let's go. Let's do some. Let's do some questions and then we'll get out of here. Um, so we pulled uh, one of Brian's questions from the email from last week. Uh, Brian, if you're listening, we are going to save your X-Men question because uh, our <laughs> John's not here. So we're going to we're going to wait for him to come back because, of course, he'll, he's going to want to answer this. Uh, but I alluded to this before. Brian asks, where do you see the comic industry in five years as well as ten? Will it be 100% digital? Will weekly floppies still be the main way to get comics? Or uh, is mostly everything going to be initially released as trades or graphic novels? There are a lot of uh, sub-questions to this, layers, if you will. Uh, Will there be a rise in indie comics or will there be a market uh, saturation from the big two? Will there even be a big two anymore? Will DC and Marvel stop publishing comics and focus on either media? Will Disney buy DC and a few other indie publishers while their wallet is out? The future is uncertain indeed. Can I go first? Yes. Here are the answers. No, yes, no, no, yes, no, no. Okay. (laughs) You sound sound like Princess, what was it, Uh, Miriam or whatever from History of the World Part 1, choosing her partners for the orgy. Do you remember that? Um, Well, being serious, we've talked about some of these things in the past. 100% digital, don't think so, because the numbers don't suggest that'll happen. Will it be more digital? Yeah. So weekly floppies will still be the main way to get comics. Some new companies may emerge who want to do the other model. Let's put all our books out at once. We'll binge. But I think it's you, you still have a couple of thousand stores. And 100,000 to 200,000 people who depend on those stores and their weekly books. Will there be a change in that? Yes. Will it begin to flow differently? Yeah, but even in 10 years? Nah. I predicted five years ago, I guess, that the indie comics would split with the big two. But the big two have muscled them out of the marketplace with event and covers and such. I, I would have told you that you were looking at where Image and Dark Horse, Boom, Dynamite, all these companies were Dark Horse were making inroads that they could have. Com- they were at at one point, you know, a third of the industry, and that's way down, and that's that's too bad because there are good books over there. So no mm-hmm. market saturation, yes, big two. Will it be a big two? Yes. AT and T is as a big dumb corporation, but they're not so dumb as to close off all that intellectual property. They're not selling that to Marvel. Yeah. 
I, I I agree with Bob on most points. I, I do think maybe not in five years, but I would say maybe in 10, I think floppies will be a relic of the past. I think that there will be a shift to those shops will still be around and they will be selling not exclusively, but primarily trades and trade sized books. That's, that's what I predict. Um, especially as we move more towards digital and quite frankly, publishing moves more towards um, collected multi series, multi issue kind of storylines anyway. Um Something that Kusada actually really pushed for in, in at Marvel, but anyway, um, I, I Marvel saturates the market. That's their means of of upping their sales numbers. DC has seen a. It's no longer like it's no longer a big two. I think Marvel just volume wise moves more. I think DC has kind of seen its share of that kind of fall a little bit. And I think we'll continue to see that, especially as their books kind of lack a direction Um, and people are turned off by them and they really can't get a foothold in the the zeitgeist as it were. Uh, I do think that your indie publishers are going to find and help to push that the growth of the the continued growth of the digital marketplace um and even though those numbers might not be as reported i actually do think that your independent publishers your smaller publishers um are going to continue to enjoy more and more growth mm-hmm. over the next five ten oh, years and, and, in and, a digital sphere and what, also it in their bookstore sales yes of course exactly um, but but as big bookstores close, yeah. which is also happening, that's why I think a lot of those trade sales and collected edition sales, I think, are going to start phasing out floppies. And I because I because uh, I think that the production of floppies is going to become cost prohibitive for independent smaller publishers. And you might still get floppies from a Marvel or a DC, but I actually think a lot of those smaller publishers are going to start moving away from floppies, start moving towards releasing trades um, okay. and, and pushing digital single issues. That's what, that's what I predict is going to happen. And that's what this question is about. What is it going to look like in five, 10 years? But that, that's what I think. All right. Uh, Aaron, do you want to run through some of these and give your opinion? Yeah. I, I'm going to be very streamlined. I don't see floppies going away in this genera- in this next 10 years or so. I think that's going to be a generational thing. I think as long as a generation of those people who love to go get their floppies exist, there's going to be a market for them. Um, I think when those people, and it's going to sound very morbid, die off, then probably that's going to shift to some degree. Um, I also think, however, it's going to be very difficult for any indie organizations to to pop up and make too much of a uh, too many inroads into the in the industry in the medium because i think right now all of it is very much linked to uh movies movies and, and other visual media and i think as long as those things keep promoting the the big two and the big two properties i think that's going to sort of edge out any indie from becoming exactly that sort of something that is um underground um and and able to be sort of the hot thing from people who are in the know, but I don't see it sort of, you know, unless you find yourself again, like a, a, a walking dead or something like that. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, uh, I honestly don't care about Disney buying DC. Cause I think honestly there there's, when you get to a certain level, um, a certain size as of an entity, 
it all becomes homogenous to me. It, 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 there's no difference. The influence of corporate on creative things is the same, regardless of who's at the helm of that corporation. So um, I don't know if that really matters from from the perspective that we're looking at. Um, that's just sort of like a, a quick hits of things. I just, I, I feel it's evolving. I don't feel like things are going to go at that. I don't think 10 years or five, 10 years are going to be quick enough for things to completely go away, but I don't see as we are all looking at having just talked about the trailer as we were looking at those things continue to, to sort of pop up all over the place, whether they're successful or not, I think it's going to shift away from the, the original medium as we are seeing more of the, the stuff that comes out in this sort of in the visual medium and the, in the movies and television being rolled back into the series, the comics, but that's just my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, let me see. Let me go through these here. Uh, I think that floppies are going to stick around. I agree with Bob. I think that at least for the next five to 10 years, uh, as you were asking, Brian, I think that that will, those things will stick around. I think there will always be a need for those, uh, even though the fan base is split, uh, especially as people were kind of affected by the pandemic and maybe exploring digital a little bit more as stores were closed. But I think that as things have tried to get back to some kind of new normal that the urge to want to regain some of your old routine will win out and people will return to those stores and kind of keep those going. Uh, As far as like trades and, and graphic novels, I think when it's, when it's appropriate for creators to do that, they will do that. They know that they, they can. Uh, We've seen that with the most recent, um, volume of crowded and a couple of other things that have been collected. Sometimes it's just easier to release it all at once without having to worry about uh, meeting some kind of criteria for individual issues. Uh, I think you're going to see a really big push for digital stuff. And when it comes to the entertainment space overall, uh, I think a really good thing to look at right now is Heartstopper. Uh, Heartstopper had a very, very successful first season on Netflix and uh, over the course of this week was renewed for not one but two uh, other seasons to either complete the story or possibly continue it. We don't know for sure. That story is supposed to end with volume five, but it's entirely possible that you can do spinoffs or tell stories with other characters. But my point being is with that being as much of a success as it is, it's only a matter of time before something like Webtoon starts to get tapped for other projects of the like. I would not be surprised if you see more and more stories over the next year or so of those properties being scooped up for television or film adaptations. There are so many stories and so many creators and things that are are just ripe for that sort of thing. And I think that that's going to increase as the digital space becomes bigger and bigger. I also think that you'll see more of an effort from the big two and uh, places like Boom and possibly Image push in those spaces because they are so popular. And Webtoon has been around forever, but is just kind of coming into a, a bigger spotlight within the last two years or so. Um, It's gaining a lot of traction in places that it wasn't before. 
And I think that that's going to have something to do with the trends as well. I would not be surprised if you see um, more known creators going over to those platforms, even just as an experiment or a one-off. As far as Disney buying DC, I don't think so. I think that they're they're going to continue to try and figure it out and uh, see if they can't get their piece of the uh, the Marvel flavored pie at some point in their in their future. Um, it might be facing an uphill battle, but I think they're going to keep fighting it because it's a very stubborn company, and they're going to keep switching leadership and they're going to keep trying new things. Uh, and eventually, I think I think that they're going to get there. And um, I'm, I'll be really glad when they do. So that's uh, that's I guess that's all I've got for that one. Do we want to move on to the next? Uh huh. All right. Sure. Thank you, Brian, for sending that in. We appreciate it. Uh, this last one comes from Robin. Without superpowers, which villain, not from a horror film or a show or a book, freaks you out? For example, for me. That villain is the Borg Queen. I had to watch season two of Picard during the day so I would have enough time to process and move on to prevent having nightmares. Although with episode three, I found listening to a uh, repeat to one of your shows in the evening offered further help. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Uh, Robin wrote some other very sweet stuff uh, as well in, uh, in their email. So thank you so much for that, Robin. Uh, without superpowers, which villain freaks you out? All right, so I I don't I love villains. I don't get freaked out by many villains. Uh, but if you're talking about villains without superpowers, one villain that absolutely terrifies me and and can often chill me to the bone uh, if written really well is Lex Luthor. I was gonna say the exact same thing. Yeah. Lex Luthor for, for, for so many reasons, but if I had to boil it down, you know who he is, you know, the power he wields. Uh, I would say that a lot of the figures, a lot of the real life figures that remind me of Lex Luthor aren't as intelligent as he is, but they certainly think that they are. And they certainly wield a similar power. And I think that that's what frightens me about Lex Luthor the most is that he's a villain that if you're twisted enough and if you have the ego for it, he is a fictional character that someone can aspire to. And I think that that is absolutely terrifying. Um, There are some truly terrible terrible people walking this earth and there's a reason why so many of these stories that involve villains and this character in particular that like if the wilson fisks of the world Mm -hmm. that mirror these people that are doing so much damage to our society and to the world yeah uh overall yeah I was on the absolute same page as you with that. I was like Lex Luthor, like Wilson Fisk, but not the Lex Luthor that's like putting on the the kryptonite suit and like doing no, like, no, 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 not no. that one. Businessman, you know, Lex, scientist Lex, right? The yeah. businessman, right? The yeah. billionaire who yeah. who with the silver tongue who's on the 
front who's on the magazine covers and the you know secretary of state and all of that president lex luther like because yep. because because that villainy as they are portrayed in the text you said it like people aspired to be them like in the our real world they are presented as the success stories and the you know that like that 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 the politicians and that they have the power and the great irony not irony actually the great tragedy is that they use their power for self-aggrandizement right and and not for good and that's what makes them a villain of course in the real world we don't have those kind of parameters but in the books we do and we can watch them be villains and that is what's so chilling about them those direct corollaries um my other answer was gonna be like looking at like the way that anybody christoph waltz has ever played you know like no, i'm just <laughs> but like 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 the the way that fascists and nazis and all of those are portrayed in films like con- contemporary as these kind of like um you know, yes, men, powerful men who like, you know, use that power to inflict just terrible, terrible harm onto other people because they have power. That is, that's terrifying to me as is the board queen. So Robin was, was right there. Um, but like that, that when you have that direct corollary to our real world and all of the failings in our real world can be drawn to these powerful people who choose to do nothing other than just line their own pockets. And then you have characters that reflect that like Lex Luthor. And it's like, that's it right there. Boom. That's, that's petrifying to me. Right on. Um, sorry. I was looking at something terrifying. Uh, this, is, this is sending me to a dark place. Aaron, do you have a villain? Clarence Thomas. No. <laughs> oh. Nicely played. No. I think that qualifies. I was trying to go around to that, but Aaron was like, nope, I'm going right for it. <laughs> <laughs> Bullseye. Well, that's like the other character, too, that like continues to be one of the scariest villains for me is Reverend Stryker from God Loves Man Kills. Mm. Like that character who's just like a supremacist, like using Mm. his pulpit, literally his pulpit to spew hate and ruin other people's lives. Like that is an instance of a character reflecting these real figures in our lives who are doing that every single day. Hmm. Televangelists. I'm adding that to my list. <laughs> the Joel Osteens of the world. Bob, uh, what do you uh, got? You guys have hit a lot of the ones I had to pick, certainly Lex and, and Wilson Fisk. Uh, not exactly superpowers, but as a super intellect who managed to create something that works very well, it's the Scarecrow. Mm. Put your own fears into you your worst fears that now you can't control that now consume you entirely. We all kind of live with that, mm. right? You have that one day where it just, it all goes wrong and how bad that feels. Well, can you imagine having to feel that 24 seven because you've been gassed by something like that. So failing the, uh, everyone else's picks, I'll go scarecrow. Scarecrow is a good one. Surprised I didn't come up with that. That is a damn good one. Yeah, you're a big scarecrow Stan. He's one of the best. One of the best. All right. I think that's going to do it 
for this week's podcast. Yay! Uh, what are we looking forward to next week, Bob? What are you picking up? Captain Marvel 38, Strange Number 3. That's the whole bowl of wax. Mm. All righty. Uh, Aaron, what are you considering? <laughs> I am considering Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Justice League, Dark Crisis 1, or Road to Dark Crisis, I guess. Yeah, we're not there yet. It's just the road. The road. It's like exactly. Pathway, on-ramp, yeah. whatever. <laughs> Strange 3, Marvel 30, Captain Marvel 38, Knights of X number 2, uh, Once in Future 26, and Hardware Season 1, number 6. All right. Joey, what are you gotten? Uh, step by Bloody Step 4 of 4, uh, Black Panther 6, Captain Marvel 38, Once in Future 26, Justice League, Road to Dark Crisis, uh, The Girl in the Glim. It's a graphic novel from IDW, Top Shelf. I'll probably check that one out. Uh, and The Closet Number 1, new one from James Tynan. I may have already read it, and it is <gasps> terrifying. Uh, definitely worth checking out. Yes. Um, there, is a, there is a sequence in there that I know we are going to talk about next week. So, mm. so read The Closet Number 1. Um, are you going to be here next week? No, but I wasn't going to let that on, but whatever. Uh, I'm just exposing you over here. Yeah, but no, there's a sequence in, in closet number one that is terrifying. Uh, and I think I'm going to have nightmares tonight from it. But anyway, that's what's on my list. All right. Well, that'll definitely be a part of my lightning round next week because that is at the top of my list uh, to be read. I'm also picking up Batman 2022 annual Nice House on the Lake number nine, uh, Captain 38, Strange number three, Closet number one, Little Monsters number four. Once in Future 26, A Righteous Thirst for Vengeance, number eight, uh, Step by Bloody Step, number four. Is is Nice House on the Lake done at 10? Or is it no. Like ongoing? No, I think it's at least 12. Okay. I couldn't remember if it was 10 of 10 or 12 of 12 or if it was just open-ended. Now you have me. Now I don't know. I'm going to look it up right now. Yeah, look it up. Um, I have some closing statements, but does anyone else have anything they would like to share before we get out of here? It's 12 issues. I do. All right, Aaron, go ahead. I do. Uh, well, first I want to say thanks to the, the listener who, uh, sent well wishes, uh, to me. That was very much appreciated, even though you may have misidentified who recommended that book, but still all the same, <laughs> uh, it's always good to hear from you uh, on the show. Uh, I mean that honestly. Um, the other thing is, if you are in the D.C. area um, and you're planning on going to AwesomeCon, you might see me around with Dr. Carolyn Coca. So, you know, tweet at us and let me know. And who knows? Maybe we'll stay a, a socially distant six feet away and say hi. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, Bob, you got anything? Uh, no, as long as we have a goodbye. Are we having a goodbyes this week? Yes, we'll okay, have goodbyes. I'll save it. Uh, Joey, how about you? Anything? Man, I already did my thing at the beginning. All right. Um, oh, little little bit a little bit of self promotion while we were doing this podcast. I just noticed that uh, Gotham Outsiders dropped um, the episode that I guested on for Batman the Imposter, uh, talking about that with uh, Chris Carey and TJ over on their show. It is a fantastic conversation, if I do say so myself. I was there. Uh, we had a ton of fun talking about it. And if you like that story or you just like Batman in general, or you just like quality podcasts, you should go and check out Gotham outsiders. Uh, and their issue number 22 it has me 
on it. Uh, and I also give my full pitch for at least two Batman comics that I would write. And I went through like panel by panel for one of them. It was pretty epic. Maybe a little, maybe a little obnoxious. I don't know. You decide, go and download it and listen to it today. We have reached the end of this week's edition of the talking comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments or questions through our email podcast, talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at talking comics. Bob, where can our listeners Old find you? Old-fashioned email, Bob Ryer at TalkingComicBooks.com. Joey. At Joey Bertrino. Aaron. At Aaron J. Amos. And John is uh, John P. Burkle online. Is that it? Is that a question? Yeah, it's a question. <laughs> I think that's it. At John P. Burkle online. I am at dead underscore Anchorus, uh, be on the lookout. We will likely have some interview podcasts coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, definitely one that we are looking to record later this week that you're not going to want to miss. Uh, so until then, for Bob. Hey, my parents were married June 1st, 1940. So happy anniversary, Mom and Dad. Oh, happy nice. anniversary. Sweet. For Joey. Oh, happy anniversary. That's very nice. For Aaron. Agreed. See you guys next time. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Be excellent to each other. And until next time on the Talking Comics Podcast, to be continued. Continued.